accessing agent files. Brian Sovereign. Early 21st Century Anarchist. Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the government, helping usher in an incredible time. Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian. Woo! Oh, yes. The golden stallion here for another great episode of Sovereign Tech. And boy, you know, I can, I, in my headphones, I can hear so much reverberation, but that's because... This is the very first Sovereign Tech four-way, and that means there are there are four live microphones going, and so boy, it's going to take me a minute here to in introduce everybody. In one little everybody. room, yeah. <laughs> so of course, you just heard the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Hello, thank yeah, you for having me on. Absolutely, and next to you uh, is another lovely lady, Paige Peterson. Hi! (laughs) Just so great uh, to to have you on again. Boy, when was the last time you were on? July. July. Right after right after Porkfest. Okay, right. I came by. Right after Porkfest. Yeah, that that was fantastic. Uh, So, in fact, that was the first three way. So, but this is again a and of course pages from uh, Made Safe and uh, but we've got our four way this time and Mr. Ryan Taylor making his debut on Sovereign Tech with the Block Tech Group, which I have actually highlighted on this show in the past, doing incredible things like Alexandria, saving all the information for the world to be able to get their hands on later on. Ryan, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, man, this is this is great. So we got to... Everybody is clothed this time, I assure you. Uh, <laughs> Why'd you have to ruin it? Mm-hmm. All right, no... Think of it however you want. You could imagine that, that we're not clothed, but that's... We can all just get undressed right now. Okay, yeah, that works. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cold in New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah, well, when you got this many bodies in, in a studio, I mean, it, cold isn't a problem. <laughs> all right. So anyway, uh, th- this is this is really exciting for me to, to be doing. Uh, I really enjoy having people in studio. Uh, I know a lot of people always want me to have guests on the show, and I just, I hate using Skype for a multitude of reasons. One of them being actually recently, just in the past couple of weeks, the Snowden revelations have shown that uh, Microsoft built in a backdoor for the NSA to get access to Skype pretty much any time they want. So Skype's just a revolving door for oh, the alphabet. Oh, I thought that was old news. Did yeah, well, it's old news to us, but now it's like official that, uh, that that they can do that. So, And and not that I'm so mad at, at Microsoft necessarily, uh, because, you know, what are they going to do? I mean, okay, yeah, no, we're not going to put that in there. Okay, well, you know, I mean, it's the butt of the gun, right? That's what NSA, the NSA can come at uh, come at you with. So, but anyway, uh, I thought you know, they were like the tentacle of the octopus. Microsoft? No, the NSA. Remember the, that logo that they had? Oh with yeah, the octopus yeah, like yeah, encircling yeah. the the world. Well, they've done it. So, 
Uh, and no language is safe because Skype has that translator now, that universal translator. That's mm-hmm. it's crazy. Anyway, enough about that uh, that nonsense. Um, but you know, I just I generally I don't like doing things without people being in the studio. So this is really exciting to have three other people in the studio besides me, and I will do my best to not be tossing chairs across the room as I normally do in uh, in each episode. But <laughs> I have to say, just as a technical comment, it's kind of a makeshift setup that we have. doing the recording here so bear with us if it doesn't sound that great uh sorry for that but hey four of us in the same room hopefully that makes up for it oh it 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 makes up for it no doubt so anyway uh you know let's start going around around the room of course stephanie uh I think everybody pretty well keeps track of what you're up to. So, you know, they're constantly creeping on you. And uh, If you don't know me by now. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, so, but but let's, uh, you know, let, let's go around here. Let, let's go to Paige. Paige, you, of course, are with MadeSafe, which is a technology on Sovereign Tech that we are incredibly excited about and cannot wait to be out there. What is going on with MadeSafe right now? And in fact, just in case somebody's totally new and hearing this, what is MadeSafe? Sure. So MadeSafe is uh, first and foremost a new decentralized internet. So the idea is to take the vulnerability that exists within the current internet and remove it. Oh yeah, um, my pants are coming off right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that ba- that vulnerability basically comes down to servers. Uh, servers are the things that get hacked or cracked or however you might envision it. And Um, In the end, if you want to secure files and processing and uh, data in general, then removing the central points of, uh, you know, corruption or, you know, central points of uh, being able to corrupt data or, you know, steal data or even access data, which exists within servers so yeah so MadeSafe is creating an internet that that gets rid of the central points of failure Mm -hmm. that being servers Mm -hmm. uh as as best as possible and just kind of like shuffles the cards over you know this huge uh distributed network of resources that Mm -hmm. you get from other people's machines Mm -hmm. other people's computers Mm -hmm. so now what is going on with that at what stage are we in development are we looking at release soon so um yeah release is pretty much imminent however we've been saying that for the past six months or so things have been getting pushed back uh you know a month at a time in terms of the test networks and what we're going through so they've actually done a lot of rewriting of core stuff within the past few months um just realizing you know seeing it uh run in the test net and realizing the fixes that they need to make um are more important than launching you know when we originally said which was pretty much right now we we said we were going to do it by the end of the year but um we're looking probably about march though that could be pushed back a couple months more who knows um i will say you know that's fine with me i often complain about people not delivering the goods but we're talking about it in my opinion a technology that is so game-changing uh for what we're dealing with right now as far as you know an interconnected world um that I want the time to be taken. I want it to come out right. And in large part, especially because I think if, if it's not right, it, it's going to be it's going to come out there as uh, I don't want to say as a proof of concept. It's not that uh, it, it's going to be if it doesn't work this time around. I'm worried everybody's just going to say, OK, let's give everything to Google mm-hmm. because this isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. So so I appreciate in this case that time getting taken. Yeah. And we're also uh, extremely open about our development process. Very so open, yeah. um, we have a roadmap and everything. We cross things out when things are completed. So 
all of our development is completely open and everything that we're building is completely open so you can see that we're doing stuff and you know there's uh we have this kind of uh tracker website um it's uh, Jira, J-I-R-A dot madesafe.net. And that'll show you basically all of the issues that we're working on, things that are completed, you know, things that are upcoming. Yeah, so. Jira is a good platform. Yeah. I think they're the same guys that make Atlassian. They are, yeah, yeah, Atlassian. Yeah, great, mm-hmm. great platform uh, yeah. to, to be on there. Mm-hmm. So uh, excellent. And so, I mean, now is... Because I think what a lot of people, and then I want to get to Ryan here, but I think a lot of people when they, you know, they picture MadeSafe, I mean, this is, they're expecting it to kind of do everything, to completely replace the internet. Mm -hmm. Is this going to be coming out a little more incremental, though, in its features, or is it going to be feature complete in March? So, um... The the focus at first is on storing data and making that um, as solid as possible. There are, like, there are uh, conceptualized um, ways to work with distributed processing. We do use distributed processing, but not in the way that uh, uh, replacing the entire internet would take right now. So, like, for example, if you have... Um, a website running on a server and you're using like node.js for your backend. Right. Not everyone on their home computers has that installed. So you need to be able to figure out how to make that work um, in a distributed way so that not everyone has to have all the different, you know, processing environments on their home computers. Sure. So the first part is this uh, distributed storage. We do use processing because they're the nodes themselves in terms of providing resources to the network. You need to provide um, processing so that nodes can check and verify each other and do you know, internal stuff. Right. So the the next iteration will be, um, yeah, I think, you know, this launch in uh, March, April um, will be the beta launch. So that's with storage and then the processing and, you know, even implementing uh, incentivizing mesh networking and right. building that in as well. That is definitely something to come along probably when the full client is launched yeah well and, and that makes sense i mean i think a lot of people you know perhaps a, a fair analogy and of course i can be corrected if i'm wrong i mean bitcoin a lot of people are wanting to do a whole lot more with bitcoin than just currency and so but that takes time for those features to come out but if you can take advantage of what it can do already you know go for it and 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 do it and so i think i mean even just the kind of the i guess you'd say the the storage end of of made safe that's what's going to be ready in march yes um, for sure even getting you know starting to use that is incredibly important uh because data retention you know redundancy uh is you know for humanity one of the most important things ever mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> I, I don't think people think philosophically enough about this sort of thing but uh, yeah, we want to make sure data gets protected. Data get you know is available for for the future always, and not controlled by gatekeepers. And that's one of the beautiful things, really, that I think MadeSafe does is it gets rid of the gatekeepers mm-hmm. uh, on a lot of this. Mm-hmm. But which dovetails nicely, I must say, into what Mister Taylor does. Uh, Ryan, you are with the BlockTech Group. Did I get that right? Yes, the Blockchain Technology Group, uh, right. short BlockTech. Okay, and you are you particularly are working on something that I talked about on uh, on Sovereign Tech in the past, which is Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Now, right. why is this called Alexandria? Tell me all about this stuff. 
All right. Well, the software that we're building is essentially a front end for distributed technologies, um, really focusing on blockchain and uh, at its core as a permanent store of history, a permanent store of record. And we'll be using blockchain technology to store all sorts of content uh, from micro news platforms like Twitter, as well as market data, RSS feeds, all the way up to podcasts, anything that's published on the internet, essentially. Now, I saw in Vegas... Uh, and you looked very different at the time. You had really <laughs> long. You looked like Jesus walking around. I didn't, <laughs> well, I didn't hold you. that against you. <laughs> uh, Let me see it, your hands, Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> not bleeding right there, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you were you were demoing Alexandria right. in Vegas, and you were showing that look, we can save these tweets that Twitter is deleting. Uh, I, I think that's what I understood was going on. Yes, that's where we started is um, basically the way that it works on the front end is a user goes to create an archive uh, on any topic that they want. And we started with Twitter because it's the people telling their history and tweets are so frequently removed by governments, by individuals and Absolutely. by Twitter itself. Right. So the problem we see with that is, uh, and this is where the name Alexandria comes from, is that this happens throughout history. This has always happened throughout history that invading forces burn libraries they loot museums and to that effect so do locals uh, loot museums when their region is at war so all this history is perpetually lost and uh, we just chose to solve this problem by using the blockchain to create this permanent record and then distribute the media uh, because obviously putting videos on a blockchain is just a bad idea so we'll be distributing that media using other distributed networks such as MadeSafe right Okay, so this is something, this is very adaptable stuff. Yes, that absolutely. You're designing. Yeah, we are and, coin agnostic and uh, we're platform agnostic as well. Well, I think that's fantastic. I like that uh, because you never want to put all your eggs in one basket. If anything, that's the whole point mm-hmm. uh, of a lot of this is, is to, you know, have, again, like we talked about with MadeSafe as well, where there's just this redundancy. And uh, redundant systems, you know, are completely found in nature everywhere you look, but it seems like humanity has a hard time with accepting the necessity of, of redundant uh, systems. As are decentralized systems. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, uh, well, I, you know, I shouldn't, I don't know if I should say humanity has a hard time with that. Just recently, it seems like they have a hard time with that as to where if you look before even the very creation of the Internet it, in and of itself, uh, you know, it was ARPANET. It was a redundant system. Uh, or you look at things like Usenet or BBSs, which I know you've have you have some experience, Ryan, yes. with BBSs, which I think is as badass as hell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it was a good childhood. Yeah, that's r- right on. <laughs> it was good to use one. And I can only imagine it was awesome to be running one, uh, which you did. So uh, but, you know, all these systems were designed as redundant, you know, with decentralization in mind. And, you know, and, and, you know, not having necessarily so much a central point uh, of failure. So I think that's exciting. So a great group here to have. Uh, I, I love it. And we've got a lot of great topics to get into. Um, but I think we're going to start it off with some with something really sexy, if everybody's open to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody said ants. Nobody said ants. Yeah. It's not the whole thing about made safe page. You were supposed to say ants. I'm supposed to say ants. Oh, oh, you don't have to say ants, but you know, I well, I love I love the analogy of made safe with ants. Uh which is really cool. And and actually, yeah, Paige, you know, describe this this I thought was interesting because I saw one of your talks. I'm it was so a talk sorry, at Libertopia. I ruined the sexiness. No, 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 no. We'll get back to the sexy. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Trust me. It's, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way this couldn't be sexy what's going on right now. Uh, so <laughs> but um okay, so so you you gave this talk at Libertopia. You've been giving a lot of talks, and I'm really, really glad that that's been happening because I think there are very few voices out there uh, that have a really good foundation 
in, say, things like anarchist principles or at least, you know, liberty minded principles, whatever uh, term a person wants to use for themselves, which, by the way, are we all anarchists here? I, I don't I don't know, Ryan, if I even I'm ask a total that. Absolutely. Status. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK, so <laughs> you're t- <laughs> like a Nazi. <laughs> whatever you say, Jew. Uh, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> excellent. So, yeah, room full of anarchists. What could go wrong? Um so, but at, at, uh, at, you know, I'm really glad that, that people like you, Paige, are out there, you know, giving talks, uh, especially in, in what I consider very much the belly of the beast, which is the, you know, Silicon Valley area mm-hmm. and, and California in general, which, uh, you know, I mean, that's positively courageous of you to be doing that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but but you gave this talk at Libertopia where you were talking about these, uh, was it Argentinian ants? Right. Yeah. So, actually, David... Um you know, similar to even Andreas, he Andreas David uses Irvine David Irvine uh, Head of uses uses um, the term uh, terminology and uh, relationship of how ant colonies form, similar to how Andreas tends to do it. Like he was using uh, ants a lot when he first started talking about Bitcoin. Um, however, in terms of um, how David was kind of creating the the infrastructure he basically took a few years off before like diving in and just kind of looked at nature and just like sat with himself and thought about how to build the infrastructure right and it's completely based on this idea of you know emergent properties and um you know, these nodes working together to make something greater than themselves, which sounds a little socialist, I know, but in the end, like, it kind of is. Like, (laughs) I mean, what is socialism? I guess that's another conversation. (laughs) But um, in the end, it's really about um, individuals, you know, doing what they're doing. And because of what they're doing, it just emerges into a larger property that is um, kind of an complex. organic growth. Yeah, it's yeah. based on complex systems. So right. if you know anything about um, how complex systems form, it's very based on just individual things happening. You know, the human body is a complex system. We have a bunch of different organs and organelles. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's all... It is based on individual individualm at, a, at, at its core and then kind of taking the idea of like ants working together creating colonies um specifically the argentinian ants um they're they're found in three mega colonies around the world one of them's actually in california i deal with them on a daily basis they are like (laughs) they are the biggest pest ever they're always in my house but so all along the california coast and i think in japan and then there's a huge colony in europe somewhere but if you take ants normally ants are territorial but if you take ants from these three mega colonies and put them together they're friendly with each other so it's basically one global ant colony so somehow there is with these argentinian ants which obviously they're originally from argentina and they've spread right. due to colonialization or whatever yeah uh that they somehow they they seem to know each other and they interact with each other right. and they have like just this the seemingly built-in natural system of right. networking yeah yeah it, it's an amazing thing to to really look at and i actually i i often on sovereign tech i talk about uh, biodiversity 
as perhaps really like the underlying core of just about how anything works, about how anything is successful and thrives. Uh, and I think Argentinian ants are, are, are kind of really, really actually more of a case of that, even though I guess they are to some degree an invasive species. Yeah, is that they accurate? are technically. Yeah. Right. OK. Uh, but all the same, they, they do seem to, to have this adaptability to what's going on around them. And clearly where they have gone uh, has not fallen apart. And so the biodiversity in the area has also allowed the, the ecosystems that they go to uh, to continue to thrive mm-hmm. and to move on. So, mm-hmm. so it really shows the, the, the example of that. But the beauty of the fact that you can look at nature and you can see, okay, how the hell do I build this? Uh, like Made Safe. And then you see that example uh, and you go, wow, you know, in fact, I, I mean, even, you know, the ant thing is interesting, too. And, I, you know, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but I mean, the ant thing is interesting, too, because and not that I give the Bible any credence, any listener of Sovereign Tech, uh, you know, knows that. But even King Solomon, supposedly the wisest man in history, you know, says he, there's a point where he says, you know, you don't need leaders. And he's a king and he's telling people this. You don't need leaders. Just look at the ant. It does what it does. And no one's telling it what to do. And and and, and somehow it just does it so well. Mm-hmm. So it's a great example. And, and it's a, everybody stopped following King Solomon and became anarchists. Oh, wait. No, that didn't yeah, happen. That didn't exactly <laughs> happen. But <laughs> So, but all to say, I mean, it is an interesting point that historically the ant is something that people have looked at for how to set up a system. Right. In fact, if they paid attention to King Solomon, they could have set up a system of anarchy, which may have been what he was calling for in the first place. That would be antarchy. Antarchy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they all kind of have like a like they all have their own genome, which is very similar to all the other ants so like you could almost say i mean the genome doesn't record history but like the blockchain does but you could almost say it's sort of like a distributed ledger of Mm -hmm. of a sort yeah well the thing is they all kind of um so each ant actually can take on any role within the colony other than the queen so they can adapt between roles um and that's kind of where I think blockchain and MadeSafe differ, actually, is the fact that uh, MadeSafe makes use of the fact that each node has their own specific role, wherein a blockchain, each node is doing the exact same thing. Like, you're all working towards the same, you know, you're confirming transactions, right. you're doing the same processes, whereas block, uh, MadeSafe has um, these, you know, independent nodes that have their own set of rules but they can switch in between these roles and adapt um whenever they need to and that's like that's one of the the more like direct uh relevances to how ants or ant colonies form sure yeah yeah i think it's incredible you know actually ryan while we're at it you know i'll ask you i mean at at block tech group i mean is there any like looking at nature to set up systems or i think there's clearly a looking at history which is very important in my opinion right and i think it's more uh human history that we're looking at and human nature and the history of that uh but definitely talking to Paige, and we do a lot of uh we take a lot of advice from Paige. um so (laughs) as we all should yes (laughs) i completely agree yeah um so she's definitely brought that uh looking at natural systems for for metaphors of what we can do um i think it has more to do with the processes and the networking than it does with the with the record that we're creating because the record we're creating is to solve some human history problems um but the the distributed technologies are definitely based on natural systems yeah well to look at the human animal and it's seemingly lack of reason throughout history is just as important as looking at any other natural system i think that's uh that's really really important uh you know i know i already said this but this really is exciting to have so many people that are really working on what i call system or not what i call what a lot of people call you know system d where it's just making everything work without permission and uh 
uh, without the central powers being involved. And so this is this is quite the quite the meeting of the minds. In fact, I end up. Uh, when I when I'm on other shows, it's it's funny because people will say it's like so you talk to this person and this person. What are you guys doing? You know what's what's the secret plans? What's the Stephanie? What are the secret plans? Do we have any secret plans? Well, if I told you, I'd have to, you know. Yeah. Well, we don't do that, but <laughs> <laughs> we don't believe in that on Sovereign Tech. But yes, right. We'd have to do something. And you would actually... non-aggression principle him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I was. I would. I was going to say I'd have to stick something really big in your mouth. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so we had we had cucumbers earlier but our, <laughs> anyway. right. so um yeah but you know actually that's pretty close to the answer i give it's like look you know not that we really do talk you know all these like hidden things but i usually do say something to the effect it's like well if you knew about it then we failed but no, <laughs> but there's there's nothing like that going on but stephanie you know actually while we're on this topic uh, i'd be interested you know what do you how do you feel about looking at natural systems uh as far as you know getting um you know, can technology, you know, learn from this sort of thing? Can life, can people learn from this sort of thing for their own personal freedom? Things like that. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as long as we respect it. I mean, I'm a biochemist, so I've spent a lot of time studying biology and animals, including human animals and like just the... You have killed many mice. Unfortunately, but yeah, I mean, uh, more I just learned about the body and how it works and how complicated it is and how all these metabolic systems have just spent millions of years evolving into these awesome, tightly working uh, machines. And I think people don't give nature enough credit, frankly, because it's designed some really amazing systems without a central planner. And yeah, I mean... I guess if you're a creationist, you might believe in a central planner, but I don't. I think it's, it was evolution, and <laughs> evolution is the most decentralized <laughs> uh, thing you can have. Like, there's nobody's uh, directing and saying, "Okay, well, this gene's going to mutate now, and this animal's going to be green instead of blue." And yeah, there's no central point of failure in evolution. That's for sure. No, and it it's amazing how evolutionary forces are able to design these incredibly efficient systems. And people, I I've seen a trend um, in my lifetime, anyway, of people thinking that they can kind of do it better than nature thinking that they can improve on nature and then getting like totally their ass handed to them by nature and finding out that they actually can't do it better than nature yeah. <laughs> like i'm think you know there's so many examples of this but like think about um you know the fat phobia the the margarine is better for you than butter and we're, we're gonna make a better food like the, the 90s was just full of these crazy foods that were totally unnatural and that yeah. people were like well this is way healthier for you than these unhealthy lard and butter and eggs who wants to eat that it's full of fat but actually it turns out that margarine is trans fats and that kills you faster than <laughs> butter ever would <laughs> and eggs are good for you and lard's good for you you know so yeah. they were all wrong and now there's people saying they want to make your shit smell like bananas and that's just margarine all over <laughs> oh, again <God. laughs> we've talked about that on this show I yeah so I don't buy it I, I don't think that we can I don't think that a human who is fundamentally acting as a central planner when they say that they want to improve on nature I don't think they can do it better I, I don't think central planning triumphs over decentralized uh, mm -hmm. systems and so I just don't think that strategy is going to happen if we want to create something better you know perhaps we could sort of do experiments where we create little evolutionary niches and then see what springs out of them and then maybe we could get something useful out of that um, like I've heard of these computer programs that can kind of add lines add like random lines of code and they basically quote evolve right. to do certain things and that's really interesting to me because I think that could probably produce um, something 
cool and perhaps unexpected that fits its environment really well over time. Sure. Well, I think, you know, certainly I think the universe, and I've used this analogy before and I'm not the only one, I think the universe is a 14 billion year old computer in a very real sense. Uh, and that to think that somehow you couldn't at least learn from what the, you know, the, with the computations that this computer's come up with, that being ants or, you know, whatever you want to look at, uh, I think is, is foolish. It's absolutely foolish to not want to do that. And I, of course, I also, you know, go so far as to say to think that, like you said, to think if you can do better, uh, yeah, sorry, time is not on your side. Uh, you know, the, the hubris is just amazing. Like, Brian, I know you're really interested in ancient cultures and perhaps what happened behind that wall of history. What was in what was in that um, history of the world by Barossus that went back 100,000 years from the Library of Alexandria? That you can we tell all, how much she's heard this from me. <laughs> we, we talk about this all the time. This is what we talk about behind closed doors. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what was in that uh, and what was destroyed now that we only have the title page that says, yeah, it goes back 100,000 years, but you can't read it because the text was destroyed by the burning of the library. So Ryan's going to take care of that. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's not going to happen again. But we're going to have to wait another 100,000 years to find out <laughs> the history. But but uh, yeah, I mean, people don't give ancient humans enough credit either. Like there's this attitude among archaeologists that's like, well, how could these primitive people could have figured that out? But in fact, the Egyptians were amazing chemists. They they figured out mummification. They figured out how to make like rudimentary batteries like there there was so much that they understood about chemistry and math and science most ancient peoples were amazing at astronomy they spent a lot of time watching the sky and they could calculate very precise calendars um also greeks you know romans they were great at, at mathematics at philosophy they really advanced in so many different ways and they all had the same genetic equipment as we do you know as far as the capacity of their brains like yeah they didn't have smartphones okay they didn't have, grow up with computers but they had the raw equipment to be able to do math and science and philosophy and all kinds of and language and you know we shouldn't underestimate them like so many people do yeah they're absolutely. amazing they're mm -hmm. they have everything that we have and maybe even more because they had certain challenges mm -hmm. in their environment that we don't have yeah and so much of that was from getting a giving a good hard look at uh, at nature uh, you know, you take take the example of uh, Eratosthenes, who actually, you know, he was off by a few percent, but he, you know, he figured out the circumference of the earth, mm. you know, 2,500 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's with sticks. He used sticks and shadows to pull that off. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's quite the trick. Chinese so, medicine, Ayurvedic Vedic medicine, you know, like sure. the Indians figured out so much about medicine. I mean, don't even get me started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the point is, humans are amazing, and nature is amazing, and animals are amazing, and I think people should give them more credit. Modern people Yeah, more credit, more credit. And, and give them a good look. Does anyone else have any comments on this? Well, I mean, it, it, it's interesting how, um, just talking about evolution and how you know, there's so many creationists that are are all about, you know, free market things, but right. they don't make that correlation that potentially, you know, uh, the market is evolution of, right. you know, how business is done and how people interact. Yeah, so, it is the evolution of interaction. Has anyone like ever made that correlation or have you ever on your show? I feel like that needs to happen more in terms <laughs> of like the evolution and like just the market-based approach of like letting things happen and you know yeah it kind of falls under chaos theory yeah which i've 
kind You've of hinted discussed. At, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't haven't gone really far enough with that, but that, that's the thing is, that especially with a lot of creationists, they really like they feel like there has to be this like this this first cause, this thing that kind of set the rules in motion. When in actuality, if something did that. Uh, then you know your system's designed to just fail mm-hmm. at some point. Right. You know, you it has to come, you know, organically, like we've been talking about with Made Safe. Uh, you know, it, it has to be something that can adapt, like we were talking about. You know, with with what blocked with Alexandria, what Block Tech Group's doing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't think that it's it's a great point, Paige, and I don't think it. Um, and this is why we all listen to you. Uh, no, <laughs> um, you know, I don't think it gets brought up enough. I'm. Uh, I can. Uh, you can hire me hourly. Yeah. For all that. <laughs> That's right. Add I up to on Twitter, folks. <laughs> of course, actually, Twitter handles handles for everybody will be in the the show notes if anyone wants to follow all these fine people. Uh, but Ryan, did you? What's that? I haven't tweeted in six months. <laughs> it oh, no. it, it's 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 like minarchism and anarchism. In, in just a few months, you'll be all Twitter. I, okay, I tried to like Twitter. We're going to talk about social media on this show, right? We can. Okay, because Paige just deleted her Facebook account, and oh, last I think time it's she great was topic. here, she simultaneously got me into Twitter. Okay, I okay. So last time you were here, Paige, we talked about um, Facebook and how fucked they are, fucked up, and how they uh, perform unethical experiments on their users without their consent. And yeah, everybody knows about that. Everybody hates Facebook, but it's so hard to leave. And I'm one of those people that has had trouble leaving. But mm-hmm. the thing is, I haven't. I've been sort of doing a experiment for the last six months I literally it's been over six months since I've posted anything on Facebook and I don't think I've maybe sent out one or two tweets just to say thank you to somebody who sent me a change tip or something like that so it's been very sparse on social media and I've I found that I've gotten more done I've been happier I don't really miss the social interaction because I get it in person right and you know maybe there are some people that I'd like to talk to more that I don't talk to as much but uh, at the same time, you know, it's like I got work to do. Yeah. And it, most of social media, it seems, is like negative. Like there's a lot of negative experiences that you can get that just suck up your time and ruin your day and don't make you feel very good and take your focus away from things that are more important, like making money mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, t- you know, getting stuff done. Yeah. So time for yourself. I don't I I don't quite know what to do like i feel like i've spent years amassing cold this. turkey it's <laughs> <laughs> well, always the answer <laughs> i i mean like i've got these put pro- the cigarette down stephanie <laughs> cold turkey i want you to hear my concerns because i feel like that it is a valid thing like i've spent this time building up followers on facebook and twitter and i am kind of a public person so it's valuable to have a list of fall fo- a list of people who have said yes I want to hear from Stephanie about what's going on and what projects she's doing. So I feel like that's a valuable thing and I haven't been utilizing it, but I don't feel comfortable getting rid of it and saying, I'm just going to delete myself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel stuck and I don't have a clear answer coming to me about what I really want to do. Well, I guess that's why I am keeping Twitter. Um, Ideally, obviously, I'd like um, something more decentralized. So hopefully, you know, when MadeSafe is launched, all of my tweets aren't being saved at two servers, which could potentially be deleted or anything. Right. Um, but uh, I think I do also enjoy having the being able to 
uh, express ideas and feelings to a group of people that want to hear them, which is why I kept Twitter. Um, really, what it comes down to with Facebook is the morality aspect. I just like can't uh, can't support what they're doing. With Twitter, you know that you're seeing everyone's tweets unless, you know, obviously if they're asked to be deleted by certain, you know, organizations. But it is like a feed of everything. So it's not being tailored to you as Facebook is. So you they know don't you're have... reaching your audience. You don't have as much manipulation within as you do within Facebook. So mm-hmm. I totally understand... Uh, what you say. And I have picked up more on Twitter that I'd actually like to cut back on um, just generally. But um, I also I, I also like have sort of like I tend to I was checking Facebook a lot and stuff. So it became this like kind of OCD addictive it's, type it's thing. It's never closed loop either. Like yeah. it's just it's never ending. You keep getting the notifications right, exactly. and you can't stop right. them. Exactly. So that's why um in terms of Facebook, I just decided to get rid of it. I had deleted it um, for a year prior, and I actually rejoined, honestly, to, like, connect with you guys again. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I totally blame it on you guys, but it's okay, because it's gone now. But Sorry, we sucked you. <laughs> no, I mean, it was good to, like, relive and remember why I want that deleted i mean i do enjoy like it's it's tricky because i do agree with brian in terms of a lot of how you know just human brains uh and like the capacity to know people is pretty limited and uh, social networking just makes it just it it dilutes your brain a lot and it it makes it hard to actually connect with people sure so i do understand that but then I don't know. Like, even with, like, I don't know if you know Amanda Palmer at all. She has a huge Twitter following fan uh, okay. fan base. And she's a musician. And she's, like, extremely... Um, she keeps up in touch with all of her fans and stuff like that. And I don't know. I think it can go both ways. But in terms of Facebook, it's purely moral. Right. Well, Ryan, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on some of this, actually. But uh, just before I do, I mean, it is, you know, Twitter is slightly a different animal. It's supposed to be more of a broadcast medium, I guess, than than uh, than than, you know, talking, having conversations or whatever. That makes it very difficult uh, to do that. But then at the same time, of course, I would argue that, you know, having conversations in that way may not be the best uh, you know, or the most optimal way to have anything that has any real meaning in the first place. Um, but also, I mean, you know, none of these, you know, Google Plus, Facebook, Twitter, none of the, all of them have their certainly their bad deeds. And yeah, my biggest issue with Facebook is that they are the most egregious uh, of the bunch. You know, um, I, you know, I, I post the show, I post Sovereign Tech on Google Plus and, and Twitter. Eventually, maybe there will be no more Google Plus. Google Plus gets wrapped in with a whole ton of other features that uh, I, I seem to need at, at oddball times. Uh, but, you know, that's not an excuse to be using a completely unethical company service. Uh, Twitter, like, I mean, Twitter does some some ugly things. Like, they're actually, they will use your, they found out some celebrities like The Rock and William Shatner. Uh, they were, like, having their accounts follow an advertiser when 
they never followed that advertiser. This is a pretty recent story. Um, and so, I, I mean, you know, everybody's got their thing, but I agree. Twitter and, and Twitter actually is also, they, they've had perfect forward secrecy set up for a very long time. They, they you know, they're implementing so many things so right uh, that, you know, I, I think that they are the, the least of evils, perhaps. And they do transparency reports yes. and things like that. So Yeah, yeah. that's true. But I mean... Mm-hmm. Or Stephanie, did you have? Oh, sorry, Ryan. If you have thoughts, you can continue. But I just I wanted to comment on like the quality of the interactions mm. on these networks. But go ahead. If you they have. are entirely different. In fact, I was just about to say that Brian kind of nailed it when he said that Twitter is more of a broadcast medium. It's uh, it's really a micro news platform. Sure. Where Facebook is, it says right in their thing, their friends. It's everyone's your friend. And uh, like Paige was talking about, the algorithms make sure that you're not actually reaching your audience. You're reaching your best friends, essentially. Um, and what I I deleted my Facebook account recently uh, following Paige's lead. And one thing that she pointed out to me was a lot of my friends, when I was telling them I was going to leave Facebook, a lot of them kind of guilt tripped me and said, oh, but you're my favorite part about Facebook. And uh, mm-hmm. and then I realized that maybe I don't want to be leading people to Facebook just so they can follow me. Sure. I uh, started feeling a little bit guilty about that and uh, ended up using Twitter. And I use it just to kind of let people know what I'm up to. And uh, I do a lot of live streaming. So if I'm doing a live stream, I broadcast it on Twitter. I have people actually watch it. I broadcast on Facebook and my friends all ignore me. So I think it's a much better platform for yeah. that kind of use case. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is that now even like I, you know, I tweet uh, relatively often, I, I guess. And, you know, I, I like to think I'm tweeting, you know, the, these incredibly insightful, you know, you know matters. Uh, and, you know, I don't really get a whole lot of interaction out of it. But regardless, it's about the only platform where I've actually been able to get growth um, as far as followers and communications and, and, and you know, meeting people uh, that I, I feel, you know, should should in some form or other be in my life, uh, you know, or at least I should know what they're what they're up to, and what they have going on, because they're really changing the world or, or you know, just doing amazing things. Um, and they could be complete strangers up until that point. Right. Yeah. And it is a great way. You know, to, to catch up with, like like, uh, like Paige was saying, it's a great way to, to catch up with some celebrities that you just never would have been able to interact with before. And it actually speaks pretty well to them. Now, some of these celebrities are just ridiculous and, you know, they're hiring somebody to, uh, you know, to, to, to talk for them on, on Twitter or whatever. Um, but other That's ones... That's what I want to do. I'm, I'm not at that point yet. I don't have the money and I'm not famous enough, but I would just love someone else to manage all that shit yeah, for me because I don't feel like doing but, it. But this is Twitter's strength, in, in my opinion, which is that it's only 140 characters. Now, some some people get ticked off about that and they say, well, what the hell can you say inside of 140 characters? No, 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 you don't understand. It keeps everybody else from doing these long winded, ridiculous blog posts on whatever you happen to say, you know, and I think that's just positively precious because like when I was posting on Facebook, I got to the point where I'm just like, I'm not going to respond. I'll just put out what I want to say and I'm not going to respond to anything because these people, I mean, holy shit, you know, I mean, especially <laughs> that's one of the things I don't like about Facebook is sometimes people really overshare too. Have you noticed that? Like, well, of course, they're libertarian. Well, okay, so like, <laughs> you can't, you can't really get meaningful interactions on Facebook, but some people try because that's what they really want. They want friendships with people who don't necessarily live near them and they can't see in person often. So they try to get meaningful interactions, but what it comes off as is an overshare, which is inauthentic, and it doesn't. It's a false sense of intimacy, if anything. It's like you're posting this thing on Facebook about something really personal that happened, and it's just I sometimes I read those things and I'm like, I don't feel like I should be reading this. I feel like this is going too far. And I, I don't know if this person 
even knows who they're sharing this with and is thinking about the consequences of that. And I just feel really uncomfortable, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's either that or it's these super superficial things, Mm -hmm. just memes and, you know, Mm -hmm. so you can't connect with people. And same thing on Twitter. I feel like it's like either you're going to get favorites from people who already like you or you might get trolled like and because it's a public thing, there's a lot of people out there who are just kind of negative and they sit on Twitter and just troll and yeah. they can because well, t- you can make a throwaway sock puppet account. It doesn't yeah, matter. Twitter fails there. Yeah. Not allowing and, and that's a problem everybody recognizes yeah. that that they're not solving it and they can't solve it because otherwise they're going to lose their their quarterly reports are going to look like shit if they solve this like sock puppet uh you know account thing and all of that. So certainly that that's a problem and that's a problem of of the model no doubt. So we're we're all we're all definitely choosing, you know, lesser of evils. And and also because it's public, uh like have I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of those clickbaity articles, but like there are these clickbait blog posts written about what so-and-so said to so-and-so else on Twitter. You know, like these Twitter flame wars oh, between really? celebrities. I actually haven't seen those. Good for I you. I can imagine. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, because it's public, it like, there can be dirty laundry that comes out. And mm-hmm. dirty laundry on Facebook, too, of yeah. course. One of my favorite authors, uh, Brett Easton Ellis, actually is kind of famous for ordering cocaine through Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean, the actual tweet was someone come over, come over now and please do bring cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing too that that I like about some degree of, of public forum is that you get to see that everybody's a goddamn freak, you know, and it's like and it can normalize, you know, all your even your wildest desires. Uh you're you're making a funny face there, Stephanie. I'm just trying to think of an example of that and I haven't I mean Unless you're talking about that guy that sent the dick pic to his set, the politician that sent the dick wiener. pic to yeah, wiener. <laughs> <laughs> not once but like four times. Didn't he do it like four times or something? Yeah, I I lost. I don't know. I mean, it's I not I something think I wasn't say... like uh, you know I wasn't like clicking refresh. It's like oh man, are there more Anthony Wiener pics? <laughs> <laughs> no, me neither. And that's the last thing I want to see is a politician's dick. But you know, I, I don't. I think that may have normalized, I guess, sexual stuff among politicians a little bit because he got reelected, didn't he? Well, didn't a lot he, of these didn't things didn't ruin his career or anything. But I just don't see like a lot of people tweeting about their biggest fantasies and desires or anything like that. No, you're right. They made normal. You're right. They, they kind of don't much to my chagrin. You're, you're actually kind of right there. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I mean, a lot of these, you know, all this stuff being stored up into the, you know, into the cloud, uh, onto the big bad internet. I mean, it's allowing for the fappening. It's allowing for, you know, all of these situations where, you know, nudie pics are getting released. Not that I'm saying people should, you know, one's idea on the ethics of that is, is a whole other story. But the fact is, is that suddenly you realize that pretty much everybody is like, taking nude pictures of themselves you know by and large but, and then okay, that is, and no like, one's but this is the thing nobody's see, complaining about the fact that there is nude pictures or at least not many people that i've heard are complaining about that but they're just saying wow we shouldn't be able to see this but well, it, go ahead. okay but like i don't know about you but i'm fine admitting my sexual freakery to you or like anyone in this room but not to my mom and grandmother who might look at public Hi, tweets Oh God! We gotta... <laughs> it just made me think about. There's this video out there called "Ladies Looking." It's like this improv comedy troupe, and it's a bunch of women, and they're reading messages that this guy in the improv group received on Grinder. So they're like gay pickup <laughs> lines. And... 
I can this, imagine. This one lady, I'll put a link in the show notes. Like, she's reading this Please message do. and she's like, I'd love to start my weekend off in Austin by sucking a big old dick. Hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But yeah, I mean, the the thing is, though, when you put stuff out publicly, I don't know about you guys, but I have some le- a certain level of boundaries. Like even when I had Pork Therapy, which was a kind of a radio show, you could argue about personal stuff. I, d- I did have certain boundaries that I just wasn't really willing to go past, you know, like I didn't want to talk about I didn't want to reveal every detail of my life to mm-hmm. people, you know, and I feel sure. like I feel like any social media has that problem because everybody's boundaries are a little different and so someone's always going to judge it as an overshare or you're not being vulnerable enough or whatever. Sure, so so why why were you on Facebook again? What was... Why was I on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm cracking a joke because you're, you're making an excellent case why social media is not, a, like, perhaps not a good thing well, or the problems I'm with saying, it. Like, with other with Twitter, you don't, unless you restrict your tweets, which almost no one does, mm-hmm. uh, you can't really control who sees it. It's like a cocktail party where everybody can hear you right. talking in 140 characters, right? But with Google Plus, believe or Facebook, me, I would go to cocktail parties if people could only talk in 140 <laughs> characters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I mean, once they're wasted, it's like, all right, come on. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> but at least with the other social networks, there's some semblance of like audience controls. Sure. Now you could say that that pa- Facebook is horrible at that. Google Plus has tried to solve that cons, but like because of the Dunbar number, people don't really organize their friends or audience into groups, and they just can't keep track of it all, and they don't keep up with the circles. So it's it's a problem. Like I said before, I feel stuck because I don't have a solution to this problem. How do I put myself out there on the internet in a way that feels authentic and that I can so- somewhat connect with people as much as that's possible on the internet without oversharing and without sharing things that I'm not comfortable with? Yeah, I agree the solution doesn't exist. Um, and I want to hear what Paige and Ryan have to say about that. But, uh, you know, I agree the solution doesn't exist. But at the same time, I think if, if the system keeps get, keeps getting used, no one will bother making the solution. Uh, so that that's that's kind of a you know a concern uh, of mine. So, but I, I mean, Ryan or, or Paige, that's kind of an interesting thoughts? concept because uh, Peter Sund, who uh, was one of the founders of the Pirate Bay, mm-hmm. just recently published a blog post. I believe it was on Medium. Uh, I could be wrong about that though. But he mentioned that uh, it was when the Pirate Bay went down for a few days uh, when when uh, they raided the servers out in Switzerland, uh, and they. Or Sweden was it Sweden is where the pirate servers were. Yeah, yeah, and so they they moved. Now they're in Costa Rica. Uh, and when that happened, Peter soon made a comment that said he almost wishes the pirate bay would go down because it's it being functional for what going on thirteen years now. Oh, it makes everybody else complacent. It's preventing, yeah, it's yeah. preventing innovation in that in that realm. And so we have this one site to go to that does one thing and it does it well enough. Sure, sure. I think there's a degree of balance that needs to be had there. In fact, actually, speaking of tweets, I just tweeted today as of this recording. Um, I had tweeted earlier that, you know, I think cloud computing is and cloud storage is actually holding back USB 4.0. You know, I still mm-hmm. want that faster fucking hard drive and it's just not going to happen. And make because, it wireless, damn it. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> right. And but but this is not allowing for for that to, to happen uh, very well. Instead, I have to rely on OneDrive. Uh, but anyway, well. I didn't say that, but (laughs) (laughs) Paige, do you have any thoughts on, on on all this? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I mean, it, it definitely comes down to just the issue of trying to manage yourself. Right. Like, I don't know. Oh, that's hard. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe, Maybe that's where the problem comes down to. Like, I don't like, 
again, back to Facebook, it's just really about how the fact that you're pri- you're sharing privately isn't privately like isn't a private share it's yeah there's not a private thing about you i mean it's maybe you and your friends and then everyone at facebook so and potentially you know everyone in the world right so you know uh i think you've said like if if there was like a safe book types like you know social networking thing you would Mm -hmm. feel a lot safer using it and i would probably use something knowing that um you know my data was safe rather than potentially but it yeah it, it, it is like a balancing act because i also do have that like tendency to just want to check it a lot so right. it's 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 both it's like a personal thing to overcome and then you know choosing the right tools that sure fit. and i think you know bringing up the human aspect of it uh, i think we're having some quick uh some, some quick tech fixes by the producer. I've been censored. <laughs> <laughs> no more of this pro Facebook stuff. Uh, no. <laughs> um, you know, with with the human condition, I mean that that's something too. Is that a lot of these people, you know, they they program, they design, uh, and in fact, I imagine the bulk of their money doesn't even go to engineers per se, but it goes to uh, you know how do we get people to use this thing how do we get people to keep looking at it how do we get people uh you know to just become obsessed uh with the whole system you know be it facebook or or whatever Uh, i mean you know they just they hire ad guys and you know to to do this sort of thing and that's that's really uh, a whole other problem but uh, i think that diaspora actually uh, kind of addresses that have you heard of diaspora yeah, absolutely. the, the, the uh, open source decentralized i believe it was written in ruby right um but the concept with that was that you had to install your pods right and right. so everyone had their little pods and every pod contained all of the data so in a sense you were secure from the big bad facebook having your data it could be your friend's pod he could be running it and then you know that his server has it or whatever but they didn't do any marketing. Not enough people cared about this for the features that they were offering. Sure. And the thing just suffered a horrible network effect. And now a lot of the pods are shut down. The thing's kind of overall useless. Right. Yeah. No, a diaspora, that's something a lot of like liberty groups have tried to kind of get people on board with, which I, I applaud, you know, them wanting to do that, uh, you know, and get people away from Facebook. Uh, particularly, there was a big issue where Facebook was uh, you had to start using your real name. Uh, with the service and so a i lot... refused up until the day i deleted my account right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so a lot of you know liberty-minded people they their accounts got shut down because they're using these you know pretty wild uh, uh names that that are obviously not i was real. copernicus mowgli yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's pretty good <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah a little bit of science a little bit of a uh, fantasy and yeah, yeah jungle book in there yeah 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 a little mowgli. bit of copyright co- commenting too because if you think about what happened with the jungle book it was written so long ago disney ends up co-opting it stamps a copyright on oh, all of man. the assets so i have to spell it differently than the m-o-g-l-i-i that, of course that uh, to say nothing <laughs> of the fact that that disney never gave kipling his his due uh, for for all that, but right. uh, unbelievable stuff, you know. But actually, I want to, you know, I want to see you go away from this while we're talking about Facebook. I think this could lead into our next topic. We'll save the sexy topic for the end. Um, and the the next topic I want to talk about is is something I've been really excited about as of as of late, and that is uh, virtual reality. Are we open to talking about this right now? Yeah. All right. Cool. And and it's a nice see because, of course, Facebook right now owns, by and large, the most viable or the most talked about uh, uh, rendition of virtual reality, you know, hardware getting put out there, that being the Oculus Rift. Uh, now, I haven't messed with an Oculus Rift myself. 
at all, uh, but I know a lot of things are, are taking place that are happening with it. Mozilla's getting heavy on uh, with virtual reality, and I've talked about that on this show. Uh, but but uh, Paige, you actually, you got to see, uh, you went to a demonstration for Mozilla, the VR? Yeah, so actually it was a, it was kind of a VR event overall, okay. and it was actually hosted by kind of this art group uh, called uh, Kodame. Uh, art and something okay yeah um and they were hosting at uh mozilla headquarters so mozilla obviously is doing things with vr so they you know offered to host it uh there were also just general kind of artsy things that were happening with vr using oculus rift but at the at this event uh mozilla was demonstrating their uh moz vr moz vr yeah which i think looks amazing i I watched a video of a guy using it Mm -hmm. and that was intense like Mm -hmm. i mean you know he was really going into the internet like it it definitely changed your perception of how you use it yeah Uh, and in fact ironically i think it might be more accurately like like to understand how the internet works it actually seems to make a lot more sense when you're in vr because you are for lack of a better phrase, going through a series of tubes, and you know mm-hmm. you are going in <laughs> to things. Yeah, you're immersed, and so I thought that that was uh, that was really cool, cool to see. But but yeah, tell me more. So it was uh, really interesting. Um, I all of the demos were using Oculus Rift, um, and that is kind of this big clunky thing that goes on your face. Which yeah, not the prettiest headset. Yeah, hopefully they'll improve on that, um, or someone else will. But. Uh, yeah, it was generally just really exciting to see all the different things that are happening. So, uh, Moz VR, they're working on the first website, right? Um, which you can actually try out if you have a way to view uh, VR. Yeah, if you have one of the, like the the dev editions of of Oculus Rift, you can. Yeah, yeah, and they also have I don't know. So they have MozVR.com, and right. I think you can access it through their um, nights. It's basically their 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 browser that's their testing browser. I oh, what it's Aurora. Called. Is it? Or, no, it's Night well, something, hmm. I thought. I don't know. I mean... Night Shade? Night something? I don't uh, know. It might be a special one. I, yeah. I think Because I checked it out, and I think it was a, actually a very specific version. Like, it was actually like version 35 or something. Or okay. not 35, but... Because okay. they're only up to 34. But it was a very particular one. Yeah, it wasn't Aurora. I forget what they called their nightly for that. But, okay. Uh, in any case. Yeah, so... Um, you can i i don't know like what uh capabilities it requires so you think it's um the dev version of oculus rift that you need to plug in yeah i think you need that because honestly like vr is just two screens split and and then morphed yeah so one essentially you could build something you're like for yourself that is able to view this vr and as long as you're able to connect into the um the computer i guess you know with a smartphone with the yeah i know you can use a mouse like i know that the control part is where they're not so specific um because you can because they have a design for leap motion yeah the hand thing right and then they also have um you know i know i've seen a demo where the guy used uh, a mouse but yeah i wonder you know actually uh, thanks to Paige, i get to test google cardboard uh well it's the um 
Dodo case. Right, the, the Dodo case. Yeah, yeah. They were doing a Kickstarter. Right, right. Yeah. So we'll see. Competitor maybe that, to Google. Yeah, competitor. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So maybe we'll, we'll see. Maybe I can, you know, we'll find out if it can be done in, in other ways. But I'm really, I'm really excited about this technology. So I'm curious. I mean, Paige, I mean, after seeing all of that, I mean, how do you feel about VR? And then I want to get Ryan's take. I think it's extremely interesting. Like putting that on and like being able to actually see how you are going to feel you like immediately you realize that they're going to have to deal with the nausea thing because like what like anything like moving i got really nauseous so definitely (laughs) needs to be fixed worked on with that but just the whole um being able to immerse yourself into different environments there's so I have the the Google thing that or sorry the cardboard thing that I gave you the right. Dodo case and I tried it and there's a couple apps you can download and it they're not complex or anything but they're just like you put it on and you're just in the space and like maybe there's some music and you can plug your headphones in and it could potentially be extremely just relaxing and you can feel like you can feel being immersed in these in these environments which i could guess could go either way so you want to trust the developers of these of these applications and websites yeah i i know john carmack said and he's of course one of the he's the cto at at oculus rift uh, who's a guy i really like and in fact if he wasn't involved with oculus i'd I'd write the whole company off i wouldn't write vr off but i'd write the company off uh but he had said yeah pretty much anytime anyone tries on an oculus rift they just become a believer you know Mm -hmm. just like that they Mm -hmm. they they get it and i think you you kind of touched on one of the more interesting aspects of vr which is uh the therapeutic uh uh, possibilities of it you know be it preventative or you know uh something that needs to be taken care of you know as far as a trauma or whatever the vr could pretty uniquely uh touch on with people um did you have more or i want to go to ryan yeah ryan can talk about yeah i mean Ryan. so so how do you feel you know if you've had any experiences with virtual reality uh or or whatever but how do you feel about the technology in general uh, I'm really excited about it for sure. I haven't had too much experience with it aside from the the arcade games they were throwing around in the 90s. I put a few quarters yeah. into those yeah, and yeah. hated myself for it immediately would, afterwards. Would you mind sharing your age? Uh, yeah, I'm 34. 34. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yep. you, you got a year on me. Been around so, for a yeah, while. I, I understand the deal. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, these, exactly. These, VR was like in a in standing in like this octagonal this like, weird arena thing that they put right. you on, and yeah, yeah. And then you had this huge talk about an ugly headset I, that showed I, you, know, you polygons essentially. Right. I mean, yeah. Oculus <laughs> looks like uh, you know looks like Armani compared to what we were doing in the nineties. <laughs> I mean, right. It exactly. Really, it was really something. So yeah, you know. So the that deal. was my last. Yeah, that was my last experience until I saw one of these Dodo cases that Paige brought in, and uh, it's amazing for a piece of cardboard and a smartphone where you can put yourself. She's so corrupting. (laughs) (laughs) You don't even know. (laughs) Uh, But now I'm really excited about it. I'm actually going to start going to some VR meetups uh, out in San Francisco because those happen and I think meetups are a great way to get yourself involved in some technology. Sure, so that's the thing. Yep, those are happening and they're they're pretty popular. Um, As a web developer, I'm really excited about the front-end web capabilities of VR. Uh, which Paige mentioned briefly, um, you would need some sort of control as well as a way to read where the eyes are pointing from what I understand and be able to fully immerse yourself into a website. And I think that could kind of solve part of the nausea problem because you don't have to walk through a website if you just click on something and it takes you into the next room or it moves you around. Right. 
uh, because it is very nauseating trying to walk with one of those things on. You take a step forward and you feel like you're stepping off the side of a boat. But even like the, so there was one app that was like a roller coaster and you were just standing there. And even that, like, whoa. Mm. Yeah, I, well, this is I something, you know, even old, they used to call it like Cinema 2000 where, you know, it, it was in a dome and it simulated that, you know, it showed a, uh, like a first person view. And this was being done in the 70s, a first person view of you going into a roller, you know, riding on a roller coaster, you know, that was just video getting you know, projected onto the screen and you still felt like you were riding that mm-hmm. roller coaster. So mm-hmm. certainly this is a very real problem that's been known about for a long time mm-hmm. uh, and definitely needs addressing. I think even in the 90s with those polygon- polygons, you know, very polygony uh, 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 setups that they had back then, mm-hmm. w- is w- which is what you would see, like a knight looking like, like if anyone ever played the first virtual fighter, you'd, you'd get an idea exactly. of what we're talking about, you know, where Wolf <laughs> looks like, you know, his, his biceps look like pyramids, uh, you know, very, everything's all polygons. Everything looks like paper mache. Yeah, everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but even with that, people still experienced, as I understand it, still experienced this nausea and all that. And it really just put the whole technology behind totally uh, for quite a few years. And it wasn't a, up until really Oculus Rift mm-hmm. uh, that, that I think people started taking it seriously again. And now, you know, fortunately, a lot of companies are being sh- are showing like Google and, and, and Dodo Case and others that it can actually be done with a, a pretty inexpensive implementation uh, to to a very good uh, degree. So if you have any like 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 more thoughts just on what you think of VR in general, are you excited about it? I'm really excited about it. Yeah, okay. I just I need to get my hands dirty with it, you know? Sure. I want to see where it's going exactly. And I didn't have a chance to go to the demonstration that Paige went to, but I wish I had. So I'm going to make sure that I'm at the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and when something and, I, and we have the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy back with us. Am I uh, back? Uh, I think you're back. Say it one more time. Am I back? Yes, you're back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, technical difficulties. But but I think one of the very important things that isn't getting discussed enough as far as I've seen, and maybe you've heard it at these meetups and I just don't know about it, uh, is, you know, this stuff in for me has got to be open source. Like, by and large, it needs to be open source. Uh, when you are, in in a very real sense, making another reality, I'm very concerned of who has control of that. And so if it's not open source and the user doesn't at least have the potential to have complete control of it, uh, you know, I'm a little sketched. Uh, Serious fucking problems. Yeah, if, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Lawnmower Man and Lawnmower Man 2, yeah, right. and they didn't end well. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> great, great points. Uh, there's also, never mind, I won't go into that. I, was, I think there's a movie called Evolver on on, sci, on the Sci-Fi Channel, but that's a whole other story. Stephanie, how do you feel about virtual reality? I know you haven't had the chance to experience it uh, yet, perhaps. Well, I think actual reality is pretty awesome, so <laughs> I might be a little <laughs> bit of a Luddite on this, but um, like, I'm totally not interested in feeling like I'm going down a roller coaster or like sure. looking at something that makes me feel nauseated, uh, but I am interested in watching porn on a virtual reality. Perhaps engaging in it? Yeah, I mean, like, right, like, if you have a point of view kind of porn and you're watching it on a virtual reality thing, then you feel like you're having sex with that woman or whatever. Good thing and you can join an order cases. Mm. You can join an orgy in your privacy of your own room, you know? You're my kind of guy, Ryan. <laughs> you could have a group orgy where everyone's just sitting in this separate chair, like, watching their <laughs> virtual reality well, porn. <laughs> well, you know, that raises an interesting point, is, uh, you know, speaking of movies from the 90s, like, displaying virtual reality, uh, Demolition Man is one that doesn't get brought up enough. And Demolition Man was with Sylvester Stallone, uh, you know, Mike Caspian, and, and, uh, and Wesley Snipes. And in this, there's a point where, and Sandra Bullock was in this, and there's a point where Sandra Bullock's like, look, you know, I with, with Sylvester Stallone's character, it's like, yeah, why, why don't we have sex? Let's have sex. And they put on these headsets, and 
you know, he's like just sitting there. He's like, okay, whatever, you know, Stallone, and he, he's acting dumb or whatever. He, I mean, he's a great actor. He's from the past, and in this future right. where they live, uh, breeding had been outlawed. Right, oh. yeah, yeah, t- like touch. And so you weren't allowed to have sex. You weren't allowed to p- potentially exchange bodily fluids exactly. because of the risk of breeding. So governments had just outlawed the whole thing. Right, wow. and so he starts <laughs> feeling things and all this, um, but he, you know, it's it's not it's not good enough. Right. It's not good enough for him. And so eventually he just takes the headset off. You know, he's like, because he's like, wow, why'd you break contact? He's like, contact? We haven't even touched yet. You know, and, and so so I guess that does raise the question is, is that, you know, would virtual reality uh, for some, at least, uh, would it, you know, eliminate actual human human contact now that's something i i really can't support i I don't think it would because the real thing is always going to be better okay no matter how much no matter how good for some that's true i I, or or objectively it's true but i think some won't share the opinion if there's two or more people and they all consent to it and everybody's on board it's probably going to be better than the fantasy but the thing is for some people it's going to solve a huge a lot of huge problems which are anyone out there who can't get laid and who or especially if someone who can't get laid because the thing that they're attracted to doesn't exist right like what about the people like dan savage always talks about who have these like centaur fetishes they can't fuck a centaur because there are no (laughs) centaurs so they only have that choice of virtual reality or like what if the, the people who have the fetish of like being eaten by their partner or like fucking a giant or something or or, or even just yeah, that one you can fucking change. a celebrity who would never actually get with you in real life. Sure. You know, or what if you just can't get laid, period? Like, now they have these sexual surrogates. There was, like, this movie about it, I think, called The Surrogate, where it's, like, this woman, and she she's a prostitute, but she's, like, a therapeutic prostitute, and she, she has sex with these guys who are, like, really, you know, like for some reason they've never had a relationship they're like 40 year old virgins literally they don't know what to do and she like teaches them what to do and then sometimes they get the confidence to actually have a real girlfriend and they like are really grateful to her so it could be totally useful for that sort of thing where just people have whatever reasons why why they can't express their sexuality in real life because of unavailability of partners or what about like pedophiles I mean you know if they're thinking this is going to be controversial but you know what's better for them to be able to watch a virtual reality that where they can pretend to like act out their fantasies or whatever without actually hurting any human being where it's a, a cartoon or it's a animation and it's no actual anybody was harmed or, definitely or a controversial to, point considering that you know uh, that material is mm-hmm. generally illegal around the world and 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 it's controversial for a lot of reasons right go ahead. and it the things that are illegal about it like you know it's illegal if you have a video of a child being abused and it's also illegal if you have a cartoon that is a drawing that has no child ever being abused it's just somebody drew it right both of those are illegal to possess and i guess to produce but i mean there's a big difference between them because one of them is a thought crime the other one's a real crime like there's a victim the other Mm -hmm. one is a thought crime so for people who you know for people who for whatever reason something's broken in their brain and they have those proclivities you know and they're what are their choices now they can you know kind of castrate themselves like chemically or surgically or whatever well they could pray to god that no, works no you can't pray mm-hmm. it away it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work with the gay either <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's it's a real issue and like until it's scientifically understood you know, 
Yeah, well, I, what I'm hearing is 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 uh, what what a lot of, what pretty much everybody here has been talking about. One of the initial use cases is is therapeutic, mm-hmm. whatever that may be, whether that's allowing someone to 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 indulge or to help them get over it. Mm-hmm. What you know, however the controversial point goes, okay. Uh, and so I, I think I think that's interesting. So it sounds like you're you're positive about its use. Um, I don't I don't know. I think it could be positive. Okay. It, it could also just like regular porn is now. It could also for some people it could become something where they become obsessed with it and they can't they can't control their own use and they're mm-hmm. not enjoying real life well, because of they're it. no longer part of the real world. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. th- this is for me like like number one and and I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I, I've talked about virtual reality before, but I'm not sure if I made the statement. But yeah, I think virtual reality, like I said, one of the one of the key things is for me anyway is it needs to be open source. Uh, but the second thing is, is that, yes, I agree. I would be very concerned about people who do not have a firm foundation in reality in the first place. Mm-hmm. You have to have a, you have to have that, that real relationship with reality. And believe me, a lot of people don't have it. OK, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and if, if that's not there, then, yes, I agree. There is there is the uh, the potential but for it's just rampant abuse. Saying that is like saying, well, we sh- you know, we, we got to be really careful about alcohol because some people are going to abuse it. Like some people are going to abuse anything, food, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. compete the internet porn Mm -hmm. you know anything you can think of and the real issue is why are they pursuing escapism you know like ayn rand like ayn rand has a lot to say about escapism and like being connected to reality but like fundamentally the issue is that they're looking for something to be addicted to and everybody has sort of their preference for their drug of choice but most things can be a drug if you treat it like a drug if you Mm -hmm. like facebook yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, seriously. So it's, I guess that's, I feel like saying people might abuse virtual reality. Yeah, of course, people are going to abuse just like they abuse the reality, internet, just like they abuse everything, mm-hmm. including things that we need to survive, like food. You know, like right. we need mm-hmm. to eat, but some mm-hmm. people overeat and eat the wrong things and eat so much that they become 900 pounds and they die in their apartment because of a heart attack. Right. But that doesn't mean that food itself is evil. It's it's neutral. It's a tool. It's just how you use it. You know, a- it's like a hammer. A- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's really interesting because as a, looking at something that could be therapeutic, like the, lo- the loss of a loved one, for example. So you could use VR to help you get through that. Uh, I could I could definitely imagine being able to see someone who I love, who I've lost face to face again and how visceral and amazing that would be. It could help you get over it. On the other hand, a lot of people could just fall into that addiction. You wake up every morning, you put your yeah. glasses on, and you see your spouse that just died. And you never get over it because you still have that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, something uh, actually, uh, uh, William Shatner wrote a science fiction book series that I recommend people check out. It was also a TV show with lesser uh, uh, d- a degree of, of touching on some of these serious issues, but it was called Tech War. And, and they had a technology called Tech, T-E-K, that was all about virtual reality. And it definitely addressed a lot of the addiction issues of that. Uh, you know, w- what could happen with those sorts of things? I think it's a great point to bring up, Ryan, that, uh, yeah, it, it can be right. It could be very helpful. But then at the same time, you know, yeah, you could become I, I mean, what happens when a spouse dies and you just don't accept the fact? 
that that you don't leave your house gone. and yeah. you just strap your glasses on and you just stay there forever yep. i mean that so in that way it could actually be very very harming so that that goes down to and unfortunately i can't really give a necessarily a total description of what this looks like but you know that idea of having a firm grasp of reality before you start messing around with virtual reality uh and yeah, the thing about virtual re- like i have to say as addictions go it could be pretty harmless like I don't think anyone's going to drive while they're watching virtual reality because you can. It would be like driving blind, right? At, like, I'm trying to think of ways that people could harm other people while they're being addicted to virtual reality. And I don't think they really would. I think it would be more like they're sitting at home in a safe place and they're just knock themselves out, having fun, but not hurting anyone else. Like, whereas with alcohol, you could say, well, people people get addicted to alcohol and fine, whatever, let them drink themselves into oblivion. Who cares? But at the end of the day, they often do violent things and they hurt other people and and that could be damaging to others but virtual reality seems like it could be a very like <laughs> like it's almost a way of keep like the person is almost in a jail cell like a self-imposed cell they're like confining themselves to their virtual world and not probably not hurting anyone else and so really the only victim is themselves until someone tries to take it from them and pulls them out of that world that they've been in. I mean, there's been cases where kids kill their siblings because they take the Xbox away from them. Sure, sure. I I mean, also, if you think about uh, in terms of, like, the spouse situation where if you lose a spouse, if you have kids, for example, and you're you're spending all this time in this virtual reality and you're not taking care of the kids, that's technically, like, you know, not... um, You're harming other people. Yeah. At least people that are You could do that with any addiction. Right. Alcohol. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, but, you know, something that, that this brings to mind, a lot of what's being described here, um, by and large, uh, you know, I, I think the consensus that I'm hearing is that it's a tool. It has a tremendous possibilities, and but there are some bad things that can happen. Um, I think perhaps the technology that I'm a little more wary of is actually not just vir- not virtual reality, but augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Because if, uh, you know, Ryan, you brought up that great case of, you know, a loved one that's gone. What happens when it's not virtual reality where a person just sits in the, with their headset on, but they actually create a you know software to where with their augmented reality, they have Google Glass on or whatever, and they're constantly seeing their loved one, and, and that person is interacting with them and all of this. Uh, but then you go over to your friend's house who has this augmented reality set up, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Maria just said, it's like, where the fuck's Maria? What, what mm-hmm. are you talking about? I mean, I think... I, it worries me that I agree with you, Stephanie, that it seems like it could be the most harmless of things. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, people have done far worse with voices they thought were in their head, let alone ones that they saw in mm-hmm. front of them that who knows how far the, mm-hmm. you know, the summer, the software may go. Uh, so what, what do you think? What does anyone have any comments on aug- augmented reality? Well, there's been a pretty big backlash against the augmented reality of Google Glass that has come out already. Well, I think, you know, and, and maybe augment, augmented reality couldn't work without the camera, but I, I definitely hold, I agree with, uh, with Mike Elgin, who said that if, um, if, if Google Glass didn't have that camera on it, nobody would care. Like, like everybody would be like, oh yeah, you're wearing Google Glass, who gives a shit, it's like a watch. That's you know. pretty interesting because this uh, this Dodo case that, that we got, uh, some of the apps, some of the VR apps mm-hmm. on there, they actually use the camera on the phone because the camera is, camera is out-facing when you have it right, on. And camera. so you can use yeah. it. Uh, yeah, so you can use it for augmented reality in the sense it'll capture everything you're looking at and then you can implement any kind of thing on there that you that want. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I see it as a sim, like, I can see the, the fact that you're meshing uh, digital and reality life being an issue and not having that separation for sure. Um, but I can see people getting stuck in virtual reality anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I guess just one more point in terms of, uh, please the issues with virtual reality and you know if you're engaging in a virtual orgy um mm. where are those uh where is that data being stored oh. and processed so if you're having a virtual orgy on someone's server then yeah. um and they find that, out that they're yeah. in the orgy yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. invited you <laughs> yeah the, this really gets into you know some in- i mean the, you know you can get into uh some people might want to bring up copyright issues with this like you know how can you can you own the photons that hit your face is there mm-hmm. something you know is it even wrong in and of mm-hmm. itself to have somebody else that didn't consent to sex with you to having a virtual orgy with them i mm-hmm. think that's a conversation that would end mm-hmm. up happening uh really really fast um but i think there is really kind of there's two solutions to this of course one is is to encrypt the shit out of all of your you know virtual interactions just like we should be doing with our online interactions um and but the other possible solution is just for those kind of things to be normalized you know or for them to be accepted anyway maybe not normalized is the right word but for it to be accepted that okay this is what goes down you know this is what this is what people do um and i think we're a far far distance from that happening uh, in my opinion. So we better work on encrypting uh, our virtual interactions and be preemptive on it, just like people are with Internet of Things. I'm glad that a lot of Internet of Things companies are thinking way ahead in how do we secure this shit. So mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, just uh, the privacy aspect in general with virtual sure. reality and also who's controlling the environment that you're in. So just as it could be used as a therapeutic type situation, what if you're in this therapy thing and it completely overcomes you and it becomes this really horrible situation that maybe um, it's just like triggering you into certain um, like memories or whatever and you don't think to take it off and it just becomes you know a really nightmare basically Mm -hmm. sure yeah yeah so again it comes down to you know who's controlling it and that's an interesting point too because i and i think this is uh you know a a guy i have a a decent amount of respect for um uh (laughs) i can't remember his uh dan uh daniel daniel craswitz no 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 well I, have, who, I don't even want to go there. Tell me the <laughs> uh, uh, Therapist. Daniel Mackler. Daniel Mackler. Jeez. I have He's a lot of respect for this guy, he even quit, though I can't think of his he name. He quit being a therapist. Yeah. But he uh, was a former therapist. Right. He's a former therapist. But he talks a lot about doing self-therapy. He says, don't, I mean, I don't know that he necessarily says don't trust the therapist. Um, but in any case, this makes a good case for that. Because, I mean, imagine if, if, if therapists were using virtual reality. I mean, if they're the ones in control of what that therapy does, uh, you know, that's no good. So this is, this is definitely technology you want to have as much direct control over uh, as you can. I would not want to hand it over to, to somebody else unless you're into that. Yeah. I was just wondering if you guys in the room, like, how would you feel if somebody had like a virtual likeness of you, like not not made with your consent, just somebody else animating you or whatever. And there was an app like called Page and you could like open it up and you could do whatever you want with Page. Is this in the Play Store? <laughs> <laughs> like, I got my phone out. Hold on. You, how would you feel about that? Oh, it's an F-Droid. Because I, I want to say personally, like, I wouldn't I don't think I would care 
but maybe I maybe I would if I came up against that situation. Like I don't really like the thought of like somebody killing like an image of me. You know, like that's kind of weird and fucked up. But like if it was just some nerd that I don't know that wanted to have sex with a you know a virtual likeness of me, I don't really think that would you know it doesn't affect me in any way really. Unless they, unless it crosses over into real life, right? What about if Google decides to make a likeness of you and use you in their ads to sell their product? Yeah, I don't really like that. I think they should pay me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I mean, and that's yeah. something that they pretty much do. You mm-hmm. have to, or they, credit to them, they set it up so that you are automatically opted out. You have to opt in to, to you doing mm-hmm. that. Uh, but sure, that, you know, that's, that's a concern. But again, do you own your likeness? I would say no. No, I don't think you do. But, right. but there's some inconsistencies, like, in my thinking about it. Like, I, I definitely feel like I'm conflict you know I I have some contradictions in my thinking about it you know because I don't like the idea of certain things but then I also agree with the principle that you don't own your likeness or your image or whatever Mm -hmm. you don't own those pixels yeah yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) anyone else any other thoughts yeah I guess I kind of am I'm on the same page like I don't necessarily same page yeah (laughs) Well, this is where this is where things are going to get interesting, right? There you go. Because I mean, when you think about, uh, you know, I'm reminded of, of Star Trek Six, and I have to do a Star Trek reference in every episode, uh, where uh, where there's a shapeshifter, and the shapeshifter at one point takes on the the likeness of of Captain Kirk, and Kirk had kissed this character earlier on, and uh, you know, Kirk says to says to the shapeshifter, "I can't believe I kissed you," and and the Kirk, the shapeshifted Kirk says, "It must have been your lifelong ambition." You know, referring to to Kirk's arrogance and how he mm. really loves himself and all that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is going to be interesting if people start mm. not not just messing with other people, right. but perhaps with themselves. themselves. <laughs> oh my God! I would lo- okay. So there we go. Confessions. <laughs> confessions. Confession time. I would love to be able to have a clone of myself and have sex with myself. Oh, like God. that would be like the most elaborate masturbation ever. You would know exactly what you wanted, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And you and you, <laughs> and you could reach to be... new spots. Totally. <laughs> exactly. You gotta have Ryan exactly on more often. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, it's not gay. Would, if it's masturbation, I would. I would think that that would actually happen before people start making likenesses of other people. As far as mm. the VR goes, mm. I think one of the first things someone will do some crazy narcissist is going to make a clone of themselves (laughs) and just have a conversation about how great they are (laughs) oh man Uh, (laughs) other thoughts (laughs) you never answered the question right no yeah you give it a shot see so we were talking all right all right no no no, you know i'll confine i'll confess i'll go all the way i would not want to like make out with myself but would I would I be interested in two of me in an MMF situation? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So you just want to double team somebody? Stereo yeah. fucking? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, because like, who more could you trust? You know, I mean, that, that's the problem in those situations. It's like, yeah, can you trust the other person to be able to, you know, handle the, uh, you know, the, the the amount of emotions and whatever's going on and all of this? Well, you can trust. If you can't trust yourself, who can yeah. you trust? Yeah. So, uh, so that. That in that aspect, my clones I, should get together with your clones sometime. Sure, hey, yeah. or well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think um, if no one else has any uh, has anything else, uh, this actually would would seek very nicely into uh, Sieg. Segway. Sieg. Are those the same word? Yeah, they're the same word. No, it's a segue. Yeah, no, it is a segue, but it's also a Sieg. Uh, <laughs> 
What the fuck? <laughs> look, Paige right, and I right, are right. looking at each other. Look, like, this can't be look. right. <laughs> I've been behind the camera. I know how. I know what they call this stuff. And then, uh, <laughs> wow. No. Uh, anyway, you certainly showed me who's boss, Brian. <laughs> Later. So the. <laughs> now, um, okay. So, but this is a nice segue then into. Um, into this this topic is because one of the things that are going to have to help out with this is it's one thing to just see these acts happen but how exactly do you get to feel this sort of thing well a company this year or last year 2014 we are now in 2015 happy new year's everybody uh they they came up with a vibrator pretty small you could kind of wear it all the time if you wanted to um, it's not as small. I've seen a vibrator that's actually like, it looks like a necklace pendant. It's the world's smallest vibrator and the TSA, uh, well, like lets it pass and everything. Cause they just think it's jewelry. The thing's fantastic. <laughs> okay. Um, but this is, it's called the Vibes, this one, and it actually gets controlled by Bluetooth. And so potentially, and you can put this in the app settings. It's available, available in the app store for Apple, as well as the play store, uh, Vibes, you know, you, you you, you put the, you know, the vibrator where you want it and you could have your partner or whoever control through the app, control your vibrator. Okay. From, you know, halfway across the world, as long as they have an internet connection. They've had that for a while. Like well, there've okay. been remote control vibrators for a long time. Right. But the person was, you know, pretty much uh, hindered by infrared, you know, by IR. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they could only be so many feet away unless you set up those little pyramidal things. They used to set up at but a isn't that a radio true shack. with Bluetooth? No, no, no. Because the, the command would come from the phone that you have. And, or I'm sorry, the command would come from the person that sent it via the internet or the cellular signal to your phone and so the bluetooth oh. would just would come off of your phone so your you phone is saying? in your pocket and right. the vibrator is in your other pocket and that's what actually does all the controlling <laughs> so certainly you would have control over the fact that the instant you turned off your phone it's over mm. okay because unless the person was within range of the bluetooth and they were controlling it directly but if this was like a you know a, a continental affair it'd be very different distributed uh, distributed masturbation yeah distributed that's right decentralized <laughs> masturbation that's, that's that's what they've come up in uh, and they didn't even realize it uh so anyway so i i think does everybody have a grasp of or understand exactly how all this works i thought you were going to talk about a different vibrator what do you mean there was one so confession i sent brian an article of the top sex uh high-tech sex toys of 2014 and is that where you got this show prep from? Or? No. Okay. So totally different thing. I saw an article called the top high tech sex toys of 2014 today, and I sent it to Brian, but it hasn't made it into the sovereign check show prep yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was a, a sex toy in there that was a vibrator. It was like a vibrator on one end and the other end sort of looked like a dildo. And it was connected so that when you touch the dildo part, it would vibrate in a certain way. And so it was like sort of this insertable thing for a woman to help them feel what it feels like to have a penis, basically. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I thought you were saying or you were going to talk about. Oh, no, it, it wasn't that. I mean, I'm, I'm well acquainted with what it's like to have a penis. That wasn't... Uh, no. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> Everybody no. knows you are. <laughs> no, uh, well, I mean, we, we could talk about that, but I think... Uh, and I, Actually, that, I mean, that gets into more of a transhuman uh, subject well, right. than yeah. anything. Uh, though maybe some would say all of this is transhuman, but I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get that broad. Um, but initially, I do want to, you know, touch on this, um, you know, this 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 vibe ease 
uh, vibrator that allows for remote control, you know, abilities of this, uh, you know, of, of, of controlling this vibrator. I mean, and like you said, there has been underwear in the past that, that was able to do this, you know. And so since we have, uh, you know, a couple of ladies in the studio, I mean, what 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 are your thoughts about this? And, and totally qualify it. You know, you don't have to say anything you don't want to say. That would be the most violating hack ever if that got hacked. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, how long? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just be an instantaneous worldwide orgasm. But like with remote control ones, it'd probably be even easier to hack because if if it's just infrared, if you have like a like a toy car controller, you could probably rig that up to, you know, yeah, mimicking the signal would be or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, <laughs> sure. Could you DDoS that? yeah boy Um, (laughs) and i just smells like burning yeah (laughs) i definitely want to get your thoughts on this too ryan Uh, so but i mean but but good idea bad idea i mean what interested um no i am not kinky and that sounds like a submissive kinky thing and Uh that just doesn't do it for me (laughs) so i can see it um bringing benefit in terms of if you're trying to hook up with someone specific across the world Mm -hmm. and you have like a video set up a video stream set up and then you can do that sort of thing but in a situation where you're just like walking down the street and then someone else has control of Mm -hmm. this vibrator i don't see that being interesting you know i I would like maybe myself having control Right, but like yeah, someone else, like surprising me, I don't know. Chain. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I could see this really becoming a big part of like you know on, on college campuses where you know I could see you know sororities and and all that you know part of like a hazing like thing. Like yeah. part they of your initiation, yeah, you have they have to, have to, wear to wear walk around with that, and then like you know however many guys oh on, on hey, believe me, it would. It's going to end up becoming a porn at some point. That's for sure. Okay, it probably already is. If it isn't already, uh, you know, there, there you go. Uh, I'll call my cousin. Uh, now, if you were going to try to hack that, or if you're going to try to crack that, or whatever, if you were going to try to com- that? compromise that, how would you go about it? What do you mean? Like, if you were a hacker, a cracker, or whatever. Or just a pervert. <laughs> you can empathize with that, right? Sure. Uh, like, how would you go about trying to compromise that software and get gain control of s- someone else's uh, vibrator? Well, I don't think you could do it specifically. I think that'd be near impossible to somehow figure out, like, what exact, you know, where where to send that to, um, because it would be. I I don't I don't really see where the app would be attached to your phone number in any way, unless perhaps that was one of the permissions somehow. Maybe you set up a contact list on this app of who can control this thing. Okay, <laughs> which oh boy. Anyway, uh, so it would have to just be like a completely widespread. Like it would just have to infect every single app. Uh, you know that 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 was able to do that. I don't think you could get specific with it. Um, and you know how how do you crack that? I mean, you just yeah, some you know you get into the app and you'd have to somehow insert new code, which would be disturbing in and of. I mean, it would be pretty difficult, I think, to pull that off because people would probably have to download an update that would allow you to initiate said hack. Uh, or crack? Well, I mean, that depends if you think this is heroic. They'd have to be wearing the vibrator, too. I mean, yep, yeah, you'd have to be wearing it all the time. You always interrupt it by just taking it off. Precisely. Yeah, these things aren't attached yet. You know, <laughs> I mean, the transhumanist future is on the way. 
So, uh, Ryan, if I could, I mean, you know, what? How, how do you feel about this? Are you excited about this technology? Oh, well, it really <laughs> doesn't affect me much at all. But, uh, but I do. I think the cell phone network is inherently uh, at risk for man-in-the-middle attacks. Yes, has that's always true. been, and so in that sense, I think that it could get hacked via man-in-the-middle attack, um, and then. Uh, you can maybe possibly figure out when the person was actually wearing it or when they were planning a thing, and then all of a sudden you're getting vibrated by a different person entirely. I don't know if it necessarily matters. Yeah, I suppose if you did it locally, you could, you know, kind of cracking the Bluetooth would be probably the easiest thing to do, where right. it's just a direct signal of the Bluetooth, but then you'd have to be right pretty close to the yeah. person, 50 feet or whatever. Actually, cracking Bluetooth is pretty hard. Is it difficult? Yeah. Well, I know you, you have some knowledge of this. Well, I, in terms of like how the data is transmitted, it uses like a bunch of different channels, and it like hops between the channels. So it's actually notoriously okay, secure, so but the range is so small that it's like, you know, it's yeah, really Yeah, why difficult. would anyone really yeah. bother anyway? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there is a rotation of, of frequency mm-hmm. or of sort mm-hmm. that... Um, Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, but Ryan, keep going. But I uh, I do really like Paige's point about uh, having intercourse with someone, I guess you could call it intercourse, I don't know, extra course or something, uh, with someone that you can't immediately be with. And if we tie this to the VR, we were tying it to, well, a past one, it gets a little creepier. But uh, <laughs> But if you're in, if you travel a lot and you're overseas and you want to be intimate with your partner, then you hook up your VR, you hook up your little vibrator deal, and you can, I mean you can kind of touch each other. Again, it's only restricted to one little area, so I would argue that that's not even remotely as effective. Yeah, long-distance relationships, I suppose, is where this could really be, yes. you know, a, a really interesting thing. Or, I mean, I could see whole social networks in many, or at least this getting integrated into social networks to some degree. Uh, I could really, you know, p- picture that that kind of happening, giving certain people access to this or whatever. You know, I mean, it's amazing. I, I don't, I've never used OkCupid or anything like that, but I guess it's pretty amazing what gets shared on there and what gets talked about or whatever. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, but um, so... I have an interesting use case. So say you're out at the bar and you just really want to get laid like so many people who go out to bars do. Uh, you can just put your Bluetooth in public mode, let people know that they can buzz you, and it's just like a sort of like a shoulder tap, uh, you know? Yeah. I, boy. All right. Yeah. Hey, it's safe sex. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah, you're right. right. It is. Um, so, I mean, okay, then. So, I get your point of, of the idea that it feels like kind of dom, you know, kind of kind of a dominant t- thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, if this is something that you were sharing, like, you know, say I was going on some trip somewhere. I can't imagine why I'd go on a trip without you. But, you know, say I did. Um, what exactly... Uh, you know, no, you like, know what? Like, if you were going on a trip, it, what sounds way more exciting to me than wearing a vibrating egg in my pants that you're controlling through your phone by texting me uh-huh. is to uh, get on like some kind of chat program and have uh, cyber sex, like text based. This 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 is why I love you. This is you're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I'm a huge fan of cyber sex, and I don't know if I've talked about it enough on on Sovereign Tech. But that's uh, like touching me in the brain, and that's exactly where it really counts, so. exactly. No, you're absolutely you're, you're spot on. It is touching it in the brain. Um, it just sounds more exciting than than doing that. Right. But I mean, are you opposed to that kind of notion? Do you think that it's am I opposed to the vibrator thing? Yeah, between like say loved ones. Oh no! Who cares? I mean, right. consenting adults, knock yourself out. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't mind, but it, I'm just saying it doesn't really. And I'm no prude, but it doesn't appeal to me. Sure, Paige. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would probably wouldn't buy it, but uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah. 
You you don't have to answer. If yeah. You don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not not too excited about it. Not too excited no. about it. What about cyber sex? Was that ever anything on your map? Um, back in the day, I guess. Yeah. 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 Ryan, cyber sex was that ever on your map? <laughs> Sexting is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. you spot on. Man. It, it, it absolutely is because Stephanie's right. It, it kind of touches you know touches the brain. I mean, yeah, leave something up to the imagination. Yeah. So all right. So you're 34. I mean, you know, and you don't have to say if you don't want to. And I could even edit it out if necessary. But I mean, you know, like like cyber sex. How, was that a part of your world? You know, at like 16, 17. Uh, well, you know, around that time, uh, the internet was kind of a new thing. Yeah. And uh, we had pictures to work with, as opposed to now you've got video and all of this streaming yeah, media true. and everything so uh fucking spoiled yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean it was kind of different like i don't know if i ever really got into cyber sex at that young but i was definitely looking at a lot of porno pictures yeah there was a rule back then that was like rule number one of internet use was don't make love to the keyboard and that was saying don't have cyber sex but whatever screw that uh, <laughs> so <laughs> i thought that meant literally like don't rub your pussy on the keyboard <laughs> well, okay. i must have misunderstood uh, yeah. <laughs> i read it wrong I, that's what it meant to you and and we would, we don't have to go any further into that why you would even think about doing something like that but <laughs> uh but Anyway, boy, does anyone was, have anything else they want to say about yeah, this? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm kind of curious about that that whole dildo thing that makes you feel like you have a penis as a woman. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Mm. Like, haven't you ever, everybody's wanted, or not everybody, but a lot of people have been curious what it feels like to have the other sex's body, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. I would love to try that. I don't know if I'd pay, like, the price that they are asking. What were they asking? It's a... It was some somewhere around two hundred bucks, something like that. To have a penis, it's steel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's what they're depending on. Yeah, uh. <laughs> it's interesting because there's no real way to compare, right? Like, there's no way of knowing if this is actually what it feels like. So, how could they design something like that? Yeah, I, got yeah, me. I, I have no idea. And that's like when you'd have to say, have GPS. GPS. Yeah. yeah, like okay, how close are they to the? You know, <laughs> You know, I'm saying really close, like really geo positioning sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's pretty good. Oh man, there it is. That's going to be a thing. <laughs> Hashtag GPS. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> you know how people always claim that oh, the female orgasm is stronger than the male, and it feels way better. It's like how could anyone ever yeah. possibly know that? Even if they're transgender, they can't really have the other equipment mm-hmm. like the as sure. a natural born mm-hmm. female or male would have. So I don't know how anyone actually measures that i think it's total bullshit you know <laughs> just however it feels to you, it's subjective it's how it feels to you and your it's how you perceive it in your brain right you know <laughs> so so this is something you are interested in you would be in, you said you wouldn't pay the price but you'd be interested in using this kind of device i might i might pay the price if i had someone who was interested like i don't think you would be interested no. in sucking a fake dick or anything like nope. that or getting pegged but <laughs> nope. if i did have a partner who wanted to do that if maybe it was a woman or a guy who was into that I would be curious to try it, yeah. For science. For science, for science. absolutely. I Paige. Mean, look what I do for you guys. Tell me all about it if you want to. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I I would definitely try it. I can't <laughs> deny it. Okay, we should, I mean, <laughs> we should talk later. Yeah, if you want to like, split right. the cost. <laughs> so this is the end of Sovereign Tech. We'll uh, we'll be back later. No. <laughs> uh, so, well, okay. okay, for you guys, what if, what if you could... Um, I don't know how this would be done, but like, what if you could, uh, for an hour or something like that, experience what it felt like to have a female body? 
Would you do it? Ryan, you want to go first? I would pay someone lots of money to have multiple orgasms. You would pay? Yeah. I mean, right? Because, guys, you get off, the whole game's over. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So to be able to have <laughs> sex for for hours mm-hmm. and just get off over and over again or just constantly, that sounds pretty rad, and I'd pay for that. Well, mm-hmm. supposedly those um, tantric guys, that, but they're just retrograde ejaculating. They're just clenching yeah, just their hurts. pee hole. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so so I won't comment on that, but the, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is kind of one of those transhumanist things, and I've heard uh, you know some some people I actually uh, respect quite a bit where they've talked about that, where they want to be able to interchange you know uh, sex organs and all that. I'll admit I have no interest. I I, I really I don't hmm. I don't even want to want to necessarily know what what that feels like, and hmm. uh, you know that that might be the most closed minded thing I've ever next to next to perhaps I don't know. Well, anyway. I, I recognize where that might be pretty close-minded of me, um, but yeah, no, not 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 an interest. Even it. even in moments, and and I've been in those moments where you know where where you're in the the proverbial heat of passion, and uh, yeah, you know, someone might have tried to 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 slide, you know, to to slide something, and 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 I was and I you know just instantly, whoa, get the <laughs> hell away from me! What the fuck is that? You know, it was it was it was pretty. Uh, you know, I've been there. And and you but know so so even even when when all my, yeah. yeah but I mean even when my libido's ramped up yeah no I can say that I I'm not 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 there so <laughs> I think you're describing something different but I'm describing something well, different well you're saying it sounds to well, me well if like I want to saying... interchange parts the only way I'm interchanging is me having a, a pussy right that's what I was asking about right. I wasn't asking if you wanted to be penetrated as a male which you are I was asking if you wanted to see see what it felt like to have a female body. Right, but I, I think that if I'm not willing, you know, if 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 me getting pegged isn't of interest, that why well, would I be interested? More, there's so much more to female-bodied sex than being penetrated. Yeah. I know that males think it's the main attraction and it's the end-all, be-all, but there's so much other right. stuff you can do besides just get... <laughs> All right, Doctor Murphy. Know? All right, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you that. That I might be curious to at first try it on myself, and then and I just lost every Sovereign Tech listener. <laughs> this is the last thing they want to hear me talk. They, they love hearing you guys talking about this shit. They don't want to hear me. Uh, so, uh, so all right, I, I'm intrigued. I'll, I'll put it. I'll put it that way. Uh, the door's uh, open a crack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my crack is Good not writing. open. That's <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> so I was just telling you. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, so does anyone else have any any other comments they'd like to make about uh, about all this? Sure, and I might might regret saying this, but I think that I would suck a hot chick's plastic penis. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I think I'd give that a shot, especially if it was like giving her the experience of getting a blowjob because blowjobs are one of the best things on the planet oh, let's just face sure. it Man. so giving that gift to someone who can't otherwise enjoy it i think that, that would be something i'd be into right on cool yeah no regrets <laughs> that's you are a you're a big big man ryan taylor <laughs> right <laughs> all right anyone else <laughs> I already gave all my dirty yeah, secrets. Yeah, all right. We can move on to the next. I'm topic. good. You're yeah. good. All right. You're good. So, all right. Well, as great a note as that would be to end the show on, uh, <laughs> I don't think that kind of conversation is existing anywhere else on the planet or on the internet anyway. Um, you know, I want to get into actually, Paige. You had brought a subject up to me um, that I thought was really interesting. 
So, and we're getting back into tech here, uh, you know, like, like, you know, hardcore tech and, <laughs> and not hardcore. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> um, but you had described to me, you would talk to me about about GPL, right? Yeah. And, you know, GNU and all this. Mm-hmm. And was was it the idea? And I actually had a, a listener get in touch with me on BitMessage pretty recently, which was ironic because you had tweeted, you, you know, or whatever, you'd PM me about this before. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then this person said, you know, I think GPL is an example of an already existing anarchist institution. And it smacked awfully similar, you know, what this bit messenger was was kind of saying to what I think perhaps, and we only got 140 characters to talk about it, uh, you know, of what you were saying that that GPL is was it like a like a basis for society or, or, or tell me more what 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 your thoughts are on this because I think it's interesting. So yeah, I mean, there there's two ways to see GPL. Um, and it stands for general public license. So right. that's one way you can look at it as a license that's enforced by the state and um, upheld by the state. So it's it's not unlike copyright law. Correct. Right. It's but technically it's called copy left. Copy so left, right. the idea is that instead of... Um, you know, copyright uh, owning everything and not let, let not letting anyone else um, use uh, the content that you create, making that forcing that to be open instead of closed. So the idea is that if you make something that's released under GPL, everything that's a derivative or that uses the software needs to also be GPL, or you're at risk of being sued or you know whatever. Right. So. The idea about kind of enforcing this this way to go about software and just data in general and openness in general, I think is a really amazing idea. I don't think it needs to be forced by a state. I think GPL can exist without a state enforcing it. Um, but I totally would I I used to be pretty much against GPL because of you know just seeing it as a licensing thing but just the mindset and the keeping the the basically enforcing and making open source software viral and right. promoting the open source idea and propagating it to all of the uh the derivatives or whatever that comes after so I I brought it up um, particularly because MadeSafe is going to be released under GPL, meaning okay. that anyone that uses MadeSafe or anyone that makes an app on MadeSafe uh, will need to make it open source. They have to match the GPL. It has to be GPL for GPL. Right. right. Uh, I think, so in terms of GPL, I think it's a little complicated. You can release under other copyleft uh, compatible licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it has to the one of the clauses has to be that your your code is open and available for other people. So, like an MIT license, which is an alternative, can right. that interact with GPL? So, as far as I know, you um, you would be able to make so anyone. So, if you made an app um, and release it under MIT with made safe anyone using your app so anyone making use of your stuff um wanted to do something proprietary they would need to come back to made safe specifically and get a separate license because they wouldn't be able to use the parts that you used 
Right. And so so True. MadeSafe would have to say to them, essentially, that um, or like MadeSafe would have to would have to approve, you Correct. know, if, or give them like basically issue them a separate license, like a commercial license. OK, that, that that isn't GPL. Right. So now this is interesting because I think, you know, and this is an age old debate over whether or not, you know, open source is better than proprietary, you know, uh, and. Uh, I think this year, 2014, has been a hell of a year as far as security flaws. And ironically, the larger ones were due to things that were open source or mm -hmm. did not due to, but came from mm -hmm. uh, things that were open source. You think Heartbleed. Uh, mm -hmm. You think um, uh, TrueCrypt. Uh, yeah, true, true crypt. Oh boy, yeah, yeah don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> um, or uh, what was the other one? Uh, uh, shot, shot something. The one that had to do with Bash. I, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Anyway, the one they had to do with yeah. <laughs> singing Ozzy over there. That's great. Um, so, okay. And and so, the, you know, this is kind of the debate that's that's going on. But I think like we've talked about throughout this show, when it's not open source, you really don't have enough control. And when it's something really serious, you know, like your own perception of realities mm -hmm. or even just control of your data. Like uh, MadeSafe is going to be a store of of your data, you know, of, of anyone's data. And so that's that's really important uh, to have at least the potential, at least the choice, at least the option to have total control um, over this sort of thing. So I don't think I find it hard to believe, particularly with anyone that's at least anarchist to where they would support the idea of proprietary. Uh, because it goes completely against the entire idea of, you know, of having, you know, individual choice uh, at the at the basis of level of whatever you're using, um, you know, and that, that only open source can provide. And GPL is kind of the the stamp of approval. Are you talking just um, for software or for anything? Um, th I mean, GPL in general is just for software, correct? Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but... Um, I, I guess you could copy left your content, too. Yeah, you right? could, I, I've heard it being used kind of for even, um, like, books. Right. And but they have the Creative Commons licensing, which kind of uses the same idea. Yeah, they're, they're actually kind of based off of each other right. in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, so... So this is interesting. So, I mean, this... So you're, you're kind of saying you, you want to... I don't think you would ever use the word force, so I, I know you don't mean that. Um, but you think that, I mean, should do you think that, that people should just kind of like really make the conscious decision? No, if it's not GPL, I'm not going to use it. I mean, what, what, are, what are, you know, where do you want to, where are you going with this? Well, I think it, where I'm going with this, I guess it just comes down to the broken system from the very start the right. system promotes proprietary software right. vcs see code as an asset so if you open your code it's you know it's there it's not worth anything to them so it, in the end it comes down to the problem of just the system being existing the way it is and uh a thought experiment um i came up with like I don't know, a couple months ago when I was just thinking about, you know, MadeSafe and, you know, having an entirely new internet. What if the World Wide Web was released under GPL? Ah. What would we, where would we be right now? Like, maybe we wouldn't have as much, uh, you know, 
innovation at the start or, you know, iteration, big companies being able to use the Internet and expand it really quickly. But at this point, it's been, you know, 20 years. Maybe we would have caught up by now with because of the openness. So yeah. it, it goes back to the idea that you've said before, um, just in terms of um, I don't I forget the exact terms, but just uh having something working immediately as a as opposed to you know letting it kind of evolve on its own mm -hmm. and the benefits of having efficiency in the long run as opposed to efficiency immediately right um i i don't remember the context that you referenced that before in but just the well, idea of letting things kind of play out and with themselves and um a lot of people see you know, MIT license as really good, a lot of libertarians do because right. it allows anyone to use it and anyone to do whatever they want with all of this code. But if you restrict large corporations from being able to use it uh, mm -hmm. uh, the way that they really want to use it in a proprietary way, then you're potentially opening up a lot of potential for open source developers to make those apps instead. Right. And yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's an interesting point uh, because the closed source nature of so many things is is really, and I know that people love to point out how, like, like we mentioned earlier, how it was open source software that has been the, the brunt of, um, you know, of the major security flaws that we've had really in history, you know, with software. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I don't think they realize that it's actually the closed source nature that is generally what kept anyone seeing these things coming you know the closed source nature of of you know a lot a lot of security software the closed source nature i mean not just you know even you could take this beyond software you could take this into life into the 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 lack of transparency you know that the government or that the nsa runs under you know a, a lot of that sort of stuff or even you know with uh with windows and all these things you know you could have really i mean who you know we just found out about like like we mentioned earlier in the show like how skype just you know has a literal back door built into it at all times and we didn't we couldn't confirm it until now you mm -hmm. know until snowden mm -hmm. you know really put his life on the line uh, uh apparently you know to, to to reveal that sort of thing and so without open source you, you don't have that um but yeah you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting subject because i i think open source really can be applied you know everywhere and perhaps i'll even use the word should be you know uh, applied everywhere because it's the only way you really know what you've got it's the only it's the only way you really know you know what's going on and i think that since the internet did not you know it 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 went ahead and said, no, we'll just, we'll keep going incrementally. We'll keep going incrementally. We'll just build on top of this. It's like, let's just do it as quick as we can. Don't worry about it being right. Just get it out there. Um, I, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a fail the way, you know, uh, uh, Julian Assange was saying it, uh, that the internet, there were points throughout the entire history of the internet where it could have been made transparent, open and secure. And they completely ignored uh, doing all of that. Mm -hmm. And if the GPL license was, uh, at the very least, perhaps socially enforced mm -hmm. or, right. you know, however that works out, yeah. then all of this could have been avoided. Everything we're experiencing right now, uh, even I would venture a lot, you know, if one wants to, if one actually gives a shit about, you know, the businesses, uh, what happened with Sony couldn't have happened. 
I think, if if a lot of this stuff was was really open. Now, there's something to be said for, you know, how well can you secure certain systems of scale of that size? That's another uh, subject entirely. But in general, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, I, I think this is an interesting thing to bring up. And um, go, like even talking about the Heartbleed, how that was open source. Right. Um, yeah, maybe if every if there was a lot more things and a lot more socially acceptable or acceptable in general uh, to be open source, there would be the infrastructure to be checking those things more often. Sure. So well, there would be third party services that are like you know that's what they're doing. Right. Well, and just picture the resources could have been put onto uh, you know because there's only there was only two guys checking the code for Open SSL mm-hmm. with Heartbleed, and if. You know, if if people weren't all trying to implement their own proprietary, you know, version of SSL, which is what was happening, you know, years ago, uh, everybody could have been, you know, working on not necessarily a standard, but they at least could have been, you know, on 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 the same page over what exactly they, you know, what all those those resources could have been going in the same mm-hmm. direction, more or less. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Ryan, do you have any thoughts thoughts on this? Well, I think that uh, I mean, kind of what you're talking about with. Um with the beginning of the internet and these uh, these proprietary solutions coming in, building these giant servers, innovating right off the bat, that really shifted our understanding and our definition of trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, trust is a very common topic right now in the distributed spaces and crypto. Sure. Um, especially I mean, because now we have this trustless system, right? Um, so I wonder... Uh, we've had this lie going on, this deceit about what trust is. Uh, people believe that they can trust SSL. That's clearly a part of the major problem here. It's been something that's been discussed. I know you're a big fan of Moxie Marlin Spike, and Absolutely. I attended a talk that he gave about a project he created called Convergence. This was in 2011, which he pointed out all the flaws of SSL, just mm-hmm. in general, and, and some potential solutions. Nobody was listening to him. Right. Uh, because everyone just wants to be able to trust these people that say, oh, you have a little lock on your browser bar. That means that you're secure now because <laughs> Google and Mozilla and everyone tells you that. Yay, I feel good. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but of course, I I think it's kind of a hot topic, a hot button issue as far as uh, who enforces these licenses. I mean, here we are, four anarchists in a room talking about a state-enforced institution. Right. Uh, whether it's GPL, which is saying you are enforcing sharing, uh, that's fine, but you're still, it's being enforced by by the centralized government body. Uh, so what about, and this is going to be a, a hot topic potentially, but what about putting uh, creating a license that is enforced via blockchain, something like Ethereum, like a smart contract? Yeah. <laughs> my, my first thought's no. And, and, and I, but I, I understand, like, so many things w- with this on, like, how to improve, you know, how to improve the situation like you're talking about, like how to have it not be state enforced, but how do we get an enforced third party or, or whatever. Uh, so many, so many things like that, I think... I think a lot of times they feel they feel I was mentioning incremental earlier. They they do to me often feel like decently incremental. And I think and but the problem is it is would the, require everyone accepting Ethereum voluntarily as like a governing system. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. what if you didn't recognize the legitimacy of Ethereum or if you didn't well, it can be, be software enforced. So if you had something like MadeSafe that uses the Ethereum contract and this is like just total chaos in my brain right now because i don't think <laughs> anything like that would ever happen but yeah, uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if uh if, if made safe decided to have their their license uh backed by ethereum then any software that was made for made safe using made safe's code anything like that that they want to enforce to be open source would automatically check this this license yeah would automatically check this contract so i could dig like i could kind of dig the idea of perhaps software having pairing keys mm-hmm. and that if the 
like you know if your software is not gpl it's it literally will not work with other gpl software like like the the keys just won't match Mm -hmm. or something like that i think that's an interesting idea i think you know the real answer to it though but this is what i think most would see is the impossibility because how do you get everybody to agree but is you know enlightening people to the idea that look you know gpl open source is uh, this is within your self-interest because that's the only way anybody right. does anything is within self-interest. I mean, at, at the bottom, at the bottom of that level, you know, I mean, that's just how it is. And so if you can, if you can convince them uh, accurately that it is within their self-interest to, you know, be using open source uh, software, you know, and, and the GPL license and all of that, uh, obviously that that's the way to do that. How do you get people to, to be convinced of that? Oh, hell yeah. You, you know, you got me. Cory Doctorow uses dandelions. Dandelions. Yeah, he, uh, he. I'm reading his book right now, uh, which the forewords are done by Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer, and I'm also reading Amanda Palmer's book right now. And uh, in both of their forewords, they talked about this. And I have, I don't know if he actually describes it in the book or if I just haven't gotten to that part yet. But the concept is that uh, we treat our creations in a very mammalian way. That mammals, they, they create their offspring and they raise them in a very sheltered space where they can make sure that they're safe and they can make sure that they're going to live in their image and, and do the sure. things that they can be proud of. Where dandelions just let their seeds go into the wind and don't worry about what happens to them, knowing Absolutely. that some will stick. And it's I think that that's along the same lines. I mean, that's a theory of sharing that uh, when you create contact, content online, you distribute it if you create new software... If you have this mammalian view that you want it to be your baby and you're going to make sure no one else can touch it, then you're going to go with proprietary. But if you believe in sharing and you believe that other people can actually help you in the long run, you just have to open up to the potential of receiving their help, then you've become a dandelion and you can let your your seed fly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brian loves this idea. Yeah, this oh, is great. Uh, yeah, spilling All the seed of liberty. All you have to say is let your seed fly. <laughs> well, I, I, okay, so so I, I, I like this. And... Uh, you know, I like the idea overall, and I think actually th- there may be some very, there might be some strong arm tactics to some degree that could even like like speed it up. Um, you know, one of the things that I actually complain about with Google is that really Google Chrome being arguably, I guess, the most popular web browser out there, unfortunately, you know, use Firefox, folks. But um, with that you know, regardless of what the internet does, you know, Google could potentially control your interaction, the user, with the internet via Chrome. They don't even have to change anything about the internet. And so I guess if if you could at least convince, maybe, the, you know, th- this sounds strong arm, but I think if you could show people that it's within their self-interest to be using these op- this open source software, to be going, you know, crazy about GPL, uh, I think you could create the interface, maybe the maybe even the operating system at that level that, uh, you know, would in a way, you know, kind of force or at least, uh, you know, securely only interact with with other G, you know, with other things that are that are GPL. Um, I, I think that that maybe that's a that's a direction that that needs to go. But I mean, maybe it's that deep. You know that that people need to accept GP. I mean, like I, you know, I've I've theorized this. I actually kind of joked about it in, in 2099. I don't know if everybody caught it, um, but I talked about what was called Guard OS, and Guard OS was actually me just fetishizing the idea of MadeSafe becoming its own operating system. Okay, <laughs> because you know, safe guard. It's yeah, and <laughs> give us a year or two. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that's that's where a lot of this really needs needs to start is, and I know some people would say, well, just use Linux. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I love That's Linux. That's only one step. Yeah, it's yeah. only one piece of the puzzle because you can install Chrome on Debian. Right, right. So in the end, it like it does come down like convincing people to accept open source cannot be done with a license. It has to be done like with a mindset. It has to be right. a mindset shift. However, right now you can force the VCs that have self interest to not open source things to not be able to use this stuff. Sure, and. Mm. And I think that is kind of where the tool comes, particularly, you know, for MadeSafe, um, releasing GPL, we're giving um, open source developers the first chance at making something. I Yeah. And it, it is kind of forcing this kind of open source uh, economy where you're uh, you're not allowing proprietary things to be a part of it. And um yeah, I forgot. The well, I know. Well, you know, I read, I read uh, uh, on the MadeSafe forum or your blog or whichever, mm-hmm. um, where there was kind of an argument over mm-hmm. this, over using GPL. Yeah. And I thought it was great that MadeSafe is like, no, we're going to use GPL because you know other 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 uh, uh, developments, other devs were saying, you know, yeah, we want to work with MadeSafe, but if you're going to use GPL, you know, we don't want to, you know, we want to bring in the proprietary stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I think if you've got that revolutionary idea or that evolutionary idea, like MadeSafe is, uh, you know, to to just to to take a stand, it's an ideological thing. I don't think in this case it's strong arming, you know, because it's really not about profit. Right. Uh, I mean, in fact, it's it's you're, it's very clear it's not about profit because if it was about profit, they'd say, oh yeah, proprietary, come on in. You know, we know there's plenty of money there. Okay, and and so I think to have that ideological stance. And yeah, I think devs should more devs should take this on to say, no, guess what? If if you can't deal with GPL then we're just not going to deal with you. But you've got to have that 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 quote unquote killer app, you know, right. which which made safe certainly is. And I think there's other things like, you know, I wish Bitcoin would would take a stronger stance on that because I think that's just waiting to creep in. Yeah, that was kind of their argument. Um, uh, the developer that was talking about this on our forum, he's actually an open bazaar developer. Uh, he was referencing Bitcoin being at MIT right. and saying, look where we are now. And Honestly, like I don't know, all in the hands of VCs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> all in the hands of the system you're supposed yeah. to be bringing down. Yeah. Yeah, I hope Bitcoin's doing a great yeah. job. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, boy, I, I could go on forever about that. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's the thing too. I don't even. Yeah. So, because all right, fine. I got him started. <laughs> <laughs> so that that that's the argument for this, right? Is that well, if we don't use GPL, it allows for incredible growth. Again, some things aren't supposed to, you know, there is an organic growth that you're that you're supposed to have. OK, that that allows for things to have reliability, sustainability, redundancy, you know, that that makes it what it is. I mean, you, you look at uh, as an example, you look at uh, a cult uh, cult brands. OK, uh, you know, Apple was a slow build. And, you know, it was big in the 80s. It died off for a while. It was a slow build. You look at, I mean, go take your pick of the things. Things like Trader Joe's. Okay, this is like one of the number one companies to work for in the world. And it's a small little company. Everybody will, people will drive five hours. They'll run businesses that ship the shit to Canada. You know, like smugglers running into Canada. It's amazing to get their hands on this Trader Joe's stuff. Okay, the, the point being is that if you stick to your principles, in the end, 
you know, whatever you're doing, if you stick with your ideology and you don't bend to, okay, what will allow for growth, you'll find that pe- people will actually kind of come to you. The things will actually come to you. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to reach out to them. You don't even want to deal with them. You know, and this is a big problem I have with Bitcoin is the, there's so many people involved in it that want to reach out to Goldman Sachs. What the fuck's wrong with you? You know, wanting to deal with it's like, well, why is Bitcoin such a great idea? Well, because the present monetary system sucks. So you go talk to Goldman Sachs. You go talk to the monetary system itself that you were you were supposedly were excited about getting away from. You know, there is something to said. It. I don't think we have a term for this. It's always a language fail with these sort of ideas because we don't have a term for because it's not staying small. That that sounds derogatory when when you when you're staying small. But it's that's not really what it is. It's more staying true. You know, and and, and can these things scale? Maybe sustainable. Yeah, sustainable. sustainable. Yeah, maybe that's a good word for it. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sticking to your guns, quote unquote, uh, you, you know, sticking to your, your, your ideology, your philosophy of how you want these things to be is far more important than adoption. Adoption kills everything. Does it, how many hipsters does it take for people to realize this? <laughs> that adoption destroys it all. I mean, adoption uh, at the expense of principles. Metallica 91, Metallica 95. Adoption kills everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's, uh, sorry, go ahead, Stephanie. I was just saying it adoption at the expense of principles. Like I think you could make the argument that Trader Joe's has seen a lot of adoption, but they haven't strayed from their original principles. And so it hasn't ruined them. And they haven't put one in every city everywhere. You, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that that's that's the thing, too. But uh, everybody knows who they are. Absolutely. And everybody wants to and work for them. Everybody wants like, one in their city. <laughs> it's a win-win. Obviously, it's a win-win by every metric you can have. Mm-hmm. And so sticking to your philosophy can be a win-win. But too many people are just, they don't have the patience. You know, they, 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 they're, they're missing it. They're, they're, they don't, they, they have no concept of history. Fortunately, Ryan's making Alexandria, okay, because they have no concept of history of understanding that it takes a while, you know, even, even Christianity that unfortunately destroyed Alexandria, it took 300 years before it became, you know, religia franca, you know, before it was the, the order of the day. It takes time. But you got to let it take that time. And you got to, you got to stick through it and stop going for this profit that fucking profit motive you know and and like i always say yeah your profit's not a dirty word but value isn't a dirty word either and if you're not interested in both of those aspects then i don't you know then then certainly uh your profit is, is fucking meaningless providing value to people voluntarily not providing value to like governments no you know what i mean yeah that's to people. some people's business model yeah some company's business model yeah absolutely uh so yeah, I, I hear you, Paige, I, and I think it's a great point that, you know, GPL, people can at the very least just start take, you know, start taking the stance mm-hmm. and saying, too bad. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're if you not down with GPL, well, see you, uh, you know, I, you won't be a part of the future mm-hmm. in a very real sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, these, you know, if a business doesn't adapt, uh, it goes, the you know, the way of the dodo. I think if you want to get people to uh, accept GPL, I think you should just start knocking on their doors and saying, have you accepted GPL into your heart? <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And if Paige did it, I bet they'd, they'd, they'd come on in. <laughs> so, well, you know, but I think this is an interesting point, too, is that when you start to accept open source, and uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up here pretty, pretty shortly. We're actually going into a bit of overtime as long as everybody's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, but when you start to accept like open source software, 
I've noticed people start to suddenly see, hey, what else can we open source? Mm-hmm. And it goes beyond software. It goes and it went into hardware eventually, which is still a long, long, mm-hmm. that's, that is, that's the next step. Yeah, it is. Um, in fact, maybe that's, you know, I always ask myself, in fact, we were talking earlier, uh, not in the show, but, but here we were talking about, you know, what's after blockchain technology. Now, certainly MadeSafe is kind of a step beyond blockchain technology, but maybe the next step is getting the hardware in order because it's, it's a, it's a clusterfuck out yeah. there, you know, and, and you really don't have control in that area. So open source starts to apply to hardware, which is happening. There was a very successful Kickstarter where a guy was making an open source laptop with, a, you know, with hardware that, that you knew uh, what the deal was with it. But then it starts going into life, I think. It starts going into a whole slew of areas where people start applying the whole open source philosophy uh, to, to everything. And it really opens things up. Stephanie, you have any thoughts on that? I was thinking of it's already gone into content creation. Sure. Like we were talking about with the Creative Commons license and um, just people's attitudes in general towards using something like copyrighted music in a podcast or something like that. Like, nobody thinks it's a good idea to put someone in jail for that. Like, if you ask anybody our age or even older, they, they're like, no, you sh- of course you should be able to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. But yet, technically, it's illegal. The right. law hasn't caught up with people's opinions on it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I do think that mentality is kind of contagious, you know. When, when they see that it works with software mm-hmm. and that the popularity of open so- source software, it does go into other areas of life. Yeah, absolutely. That whole open nature, uh, I, it's, it's contagious. It, 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 it really Maybe is. even open source relationships or open source you know that, that's a that's a term now i've i've seen it used yeah, around violet blue i think to yeah come up yeah with yeah that. she's yeah. fantastic mm-hmm. um so i mean Paige, what, what do you think i mean yeah in terms of open sourcing content once i heard a really great idea for almost like a github for music or something ah. so you could take like clips from other people's music that they've uploaded and just like remaster it but you're like forking it and you know you take that and you do whatever you want with it so i think generally people are way realizing the the benefits to open source um and again just i guess realizing the downfalls of keeping things closed uh, even though it might get you kind of more immediate satisfaction in terms of profit i think you know generally people are going more towards the sharing economy in general and sharing things yeah i I think the evidence stands that that's that's the direction uh things are going and you know i want to get your thoughts ryan but i mean you know before that uh, i think that there's this real problem where people just can't seem to accept there's there's an idea that they can't seem to accept and that is uh simultaneous spontaneous creation Mm. they cannot accept that someone else can have the same idea as them at the same exact time i mean and but there's plenty of cases historically where it's happened you know uh, darwin well uh, according to ayn rand whoever runs to the patent office first and gets there and files first should be it's their idea that's why we need gpl (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah right and but i mean but this happens and the fact that that happens in and of itself is kind of proof that all these ideas can exist at the same time and you don't have to lay claim to one or lay ownership over one uh but but people just they can't get over that over that hill you know i can't be the only person saying the stuff that i say on sovereign tech there's got to be other people out there i mean otherwise it's it's positively depressing right you know and, and so but i mean i think if people can get over that hump 
maybe, you know, maybe then they, they can accept a lot more of this open source stuff and certainly would be more interested, you know, in GPL. But, but Ryan, you know, what are your thoughts on like, say, you know, this whole open source, uh, you know, going beyond even software? Uh, well, I really like the idea. I'm excited about open source hardware. Uh, let me just say that yeah, right yeah, off the bat. Absolutely. But I think we're quite a ways away from it. Um, I like the idea of open source music a lot. Uh, I work a lot with content and uh, just a huge music fan. In fact, um, Nine Inch Nails, actually, when they were still with Sony back in the early 2000s, they had released all of their tracks broken down as individual tracks available for people to log in, download remix, and upload their remixes. And right. they could do it as, as much as they wanted. Uh, there was a pissing fight between uh, Yahoo and Sony, I believe, over content ownership back in like 2007. And Trent Reznor said, look, I'm not involved in this. I'm leaving and I'm taking all of my stuff with me, including this open source music catalog that I've created. Right. And Sony and Yahoo were so obsessed with each other that they missed the whole thing and he just walked off with it. <laughs> um, and he's done awesome things for what would be sort of open source music, open, open market for music and changing uh, how people pay for music and how people get it. Uh, monetization in that sense. Um, something that I keep coming back to when it comes to this sort of discussion is that there's no uh, copyright in the fashion industry. And so here you have yeah. this global, incredibly profitable, incredibly creative industry that you can take any design that you see and make it at home and no one's going to do anything to you. Yeah. And somehow it thrives. Absolutely. Like, I mean, the fashion industry is actually, it's, it's mind boggling to me that it thrives as well as it does. Uh, and I wonder, it's a great point, Ryan, and I'm going to use that and I'm totally going to steal that idea from you. There's a TED talk about <laughs> this. Uh, I can't remember who it was. A woman did a TED talk about it. Yeah. Though, and, yeah. You know. So, you know, but but that that's a great point in that. And in fact, one has to wonder, is that what allowed it to thrive as well as it has? Is that what is that what has allowed it to be the, the juggernaut of, of industry? And one could argue, I mean, there's no industry like the fashion industry. That's that's for sure. Uh, so but I, I think if <laughs> <laughs> I made that face because I know Brian's thinking of all the Victoria's Secret catalogs I get that has the one eye the the girl has her eye about covered that today, by her actually. hair <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a subject for off air <laughs> yeah you're just obsessed with the with the symbolism I do. <laughs> That's what I say to that. Uh, <laughs> you know, the open source stuff is starting to come into science as well. It's it's way slower than I would like, and it didn't. It wasn't enough to keep me working in science. But there were little like glimmers of hope. You know, like people were really starting to question the whole publishing process of these um, these like gatekeepers who publish scientific work and the peer review process which is so corrupt like I sent Brian this article called the um, like the worst peer review disasters of 2014 and we'll it was, be getting to that. like every type of corruption happens in the scientific peer mm -hmm. review industry from like reviewers who are are like paying each other off to like approve each other's papers to reviewers who literally create sock puppet identities to review their own papers and praise their own work to reviewers who straight up don't even read the papers and just mm -hmm. accept anything that if they pay you the fee they publish it in the magazine mm -hmm. and so it's just there's every it's every kind of corrupt and like it just needs to be put on a blockchain or like done in a better way as soon as possible and and there's also like um you know sometimes companies will patent these strings of DNA, you know, like um, they're, they're called vectors where, you know, you might use like a, a circular piece of DNA to like make a 
protein or something like that or to create a, a viral construct or something like that. And uh, so some of these companies patent their stuff and anything you create with it is theirs, basically. And then mm -hmm. no one wants to use their stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, so then there's open source vectors and people want to use those instead. And it's Which really allow, and if someone wants to use it, that means there's going to be some innovation. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, just the um, the crazy incentives that the patent system creates for drugs, like for pharmaceutical drugs, it's mm -hmm. it's all about, uh, you know, the companies are incentivized to make drugs that people will have to take for the rest of their lives that don't actually cure the disease, that they're just going to have to keep on taking to maintain this the treatment, and that are very popular, or that uh, diseases that a lot of people have. So you end up with blood pressure, heart disease, you know, cholesterol-lowering drugs, rather than antibiotics, which actually would cure something, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, you end up with pharma companies that, you know, frankly, like, they do act pretty evil in a lot of cases, sure. you know? Even though they're saving people's lives, like, they, they charge a lot of money for certain drugs, and some people can't afford them, and it's not that we should solve this with socialized medicine, it's we should solve this with, by striking at the root of IP, right. and realizing why these drugs are so expensive when they don't need to be. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think open source really, it seems, at least to me, could be applied everywhere. Uh, the strong stance on something like GPL, like, like you said, unfortunately, it stayed enforced, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but it doesn't have to be. Right. I mean, the idea doesn't have to be. And right. for at, right now, as a tool for enforcement, it can be used to enforce against the people who don't have interest in open sure. source. I mean, in, interest in, it, in sharing with other people or right right if anything it's it's definitely a, a an excellent ideological stance and uh yeah i definitely implore any dev any coder you know to really like look in that uh direction since if it is what you have to deal with in any case uh then then you know look that look that way so anyway um i think i think that's actually you know and the idea we we brought up a lot of examples of you know why open source is so important and so that's definitely something people can go out with and say hey yeah you know <laughs> it, like like stephanie said have you heard about open source you know have you heard about gpl have you or accepted whatever? GPL have you accepted into gpl heart? into your in your heart have you accepted <laughs> open source into your heart maybe you know now you have something to some arguments share the to good take. news with them yeah right exactly <laughs> so so you know on, on an up note in my opinion, you know, mm -hmm. a, lo a lot of work to be done, but it's possible right now, mm -hmm. which is uh, what I like. So in any case, uh, I think that's enough. Unless anyone else has anything else they wanted to talk about. I think we uh, we might want to grab some Japanese food. Mm. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. You know what they do with that food in Japan? <laughs> I've done it do before. It? Eat it raw. Well, not not just raw, <laughs> but bareback. <sighs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> You never eat food off of a person. No. I, I'm not saying this is going to go the on, folks. Time for I mean, <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Might want to start with a VR. Yeah, <laughs> great case for VR. Good thing, good thing Page brought the brought the VR. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ryan Taylor, thank you so much. Where can people find you on Twitter? I'll put it in the show notes, but go ahead and shoot them. I am at Ryan Taylor. Uh, it's all capital, and the A's are actually fours. Nice little lead speak there, mm. and uh, of course, Page. Page is at I-O-P-T-I-O. -I -O. That's right. And Paige Peterson can be found in a million talks all across the internet. And talks about herself in the third person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the great ones Once do, right? No, no. <laughs> and of course, uh, well, actually, Stephanie, your your Twitter handle is uh, is one of those oddball ones because it has like underscores. 
right? S underscore Murphy underscore PhD. Exactly. So that that's in the show notes. But smvoice.info, of course, yeah. if you want more of Stephanie. Uh, there, <laughs> believe me, there's plenty to take in at smvoice.info. Uh, <laughs> it's not supposed to be sexy. <laughs> you you took some of the intros, some of the intro beds for Sovereign Tech that we worked on, and they're on there. Oh, that's and right. if that shit ain't sexy. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, uh, so, anyway, and of course at Sovereign Tech, but go to SovereignTech.com and, uh, you know, if this is the first time you've ever heard this show, believe me, I say things far, far worse in every single episode. So listen back to the whole catalog. Uh, <laughs> but uh, SovereignTech.com, in the meantime, thank you all, Ryan, Paige, Stephanie. It was fantastic. Great show. Uh, and uh, Carpe Lucem, everybody. I'll see you on the other side. Just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.